2: Welcome to Pegwarmers. I'm Kevin. I'm John, and we're here to talk about toys. Thanks for coming on, John. No problem. Glad to be here. This is kind of an interesting episode. We have somebody that reached out. Uh, John has a a real passion for choose your own adventure and game books and and other similar games. And uh, you had this great idea for an episode, and we were going to make a it fan, happen,
3: which is really great because I've yeah. seen the magic behind the scenes. Been here for all morning, getting set up, and watching what's happening. It's great. So, it's well, nice to finally be in the chair.
2: Yeah, isn't, isn't that weird? Yeah, it's really wild. <laughs> Usually being on the other side of the screen. Absolutely. So our new segment today, uh, let us introduce to you Nerf's newest mascot, Murph. Murph. So if you guys haven't seen Murph, it is a humanoid shape completely covered in suction cup darts.
3: Nerf darts Nerf backwards. Yeah, so right. if, if... If you've ever stuck a Nerf dart on your head... 5,000 more times that you're a Murph. Yes. That's the way you cosplay this. You lick some suction cups (laughs) and bam, you're cosplaying Murph (laughs) the Nerf.
2: So it is the, it's it's a very bizarre mascot, but I think it's super kid friendly. I think it's just so bizarre that it, it, there's no way you you don't, you're not drawn to that character.
3: It's weirdly iconic in the way it looks like no other mascot ever, but there's probably a reason this mascot's never existed before.
2: Yes. (laughs) Now, being a Philly guy, Uh, you know, we have the history with the fanatic and then more recently gritty.
3: I'm used to this, but everyone online, if you're coming from a gritty background, I can see you being a lot more accepting of nerf, uh, Murph, the nerf fun name, love the rhyme. Um, but man, that visual is tough.
2: (laughs) Everybody online, all the articles are like the nightmare fuel things, things of, you know,
3: I'm from down around the Charlotte area. You know, Sir Pur means nothing to me because I'm too old to root for the Panthers. As far as I'm concerned. Um, but I remember when the Hornets first came to town, we had Super Hugo, Hugo, those iconic, great mascots that were much better than Sir Purr and way better than... So maybe my, my, my team affiliations were a little bit wrong. Gotcha. Yeah, I did some time in West Pennsylvania. I bleed black and gold now forever. Um, love all those mascots. So yeah, the western of the state, I think we'd see this differently than you up here. Yeah, in I, East I definitely
2: do think it depends on where where you're at. But uh, What mascots
3: you know? So
2: I have some, some mascot experience. I have worn a mascot suit for many, many years uh, actually at the school I work at. Um, And everybody, it's not like a secret. I I always say, I don't know what you're talking about to people that ask me about it, but everyone knows. You can tell just by the way the person walks. Like, if you you know somebody really well when they put on a suit, unless they completely change their gait, you're still going to know who it is. But I would love to wear the, the Murph suit at a con someday. I think I that hope would be, you get that chance. That would at some be point. amazing. I need Hasbro to like some retro con, retro con, toy fair, anything. I would love to be Murph.
3: I hope you get that. In life. <laughs> That's a weird life goal, but I'm rooting for you now, Kevin. All right. I want to see you in a Murph and Nerf special episode.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll do an episode <laughs> of, of the show at Retrocon
3: Live. You're in the Murph the Nerf suit the entire time. <laughs> Talking to Dan from Pixel Dan, yeah, as Murph the nerve. That would be awesome. That'd be a great season three. I would love to. See, see, I,
2: I'm very curious to see what the range of vision is like in that suit.
3: Not good.
2: I'm, I'm sure it's not good, but I. It's one of those things. I, I as somebody that's worn a suit, you start looking for that. Where sure. what can you see out of how how good is the range of vision? So I, I run into issues. Sometimes uh, in the suit that I wear, I, like I'll do appearances and there's little kids there. Mm-hmm. And you can't see below kids when they level. get close yep. to you. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you're not sure where to go.
3: Well, and theme parks always have the handlers yes. with the characters.
2: And that, that makes so a big difference. they can kind of
3: be on a mic talking them through it or kind of behind them talking them through it. Kind of that subtle theme park. It's yes. part of the experience because you can't see below you. Right. And all the kids are down below your eye level. Yep, they're
2: right, th- yeah. they're right where, y- where you're going to trip or step on them or knock them over or whatever. And Murph
3: is so humanoid that I wonder where his eyes are. They look like they should be about where your eyes are, but Yeah, that's where Nerf darts are. So I, where's the eye hole?
2: I wonder if just the material the the Nerf things are attached to is just, you can just see through it. So you're always kind of obscured, but you get them, as like they vibrate, mask. you can kind of sure. see through it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm intrigued by Murph anyway. It's a weird visual.
3: <laughs> I'm happy we're seeing a new mascot. Yeah, you know some of the it's mascots are classics. at This point, Yeah. You know yes. Jeffrey, you know Rest in Peace Toys R Us. You had Jeffrey the Giraffe. You've got the Kool Aid Man. Some of them were uh, from a bygone era, which I love the '80s, '90s nostalgia. We've just not seen a new mascot, especially in for a, a while. toy brand, for or, a toy brand or, or
2: a kitty brand like that. Yeah,
3: I'm glad it exists.
2: I, I somehow, I'm not glad it
3: exists, but I'm glad it exists.
2: I somehow have this feeling he's going to end up in Fortnite or Roblox. They, they seem to similar. love to tie tie these mascots into sure. games. So I'm waiting for the, the Murph video game.
3: Will they get a standalone video game like the Pepsi guy did? That would be amazing. Is that what you're Pepsi Man, your Pepsi maybe. Pepsi that would Man's be cool. I just think game? he'll
2: probably get integrated into a popular game.
3: Probably in Fortnite. Yeah. Everybody's in Fortnite. Everybody's in Fortnite. Snake Eyes is coming to Fortnite. Everybody's yeah. in Fortnite.
2: Snake Eyes, Batman.
3: Yeah. I'm going to throw you um, to our new in our collection. Okay. This is a good segue for me. Perfect. I'm a build own segue. That's the kind of fan I am. Come I love on it. your show, build own segue. Here we go. New in my collection is, of course, Snake Eyes Origins figures. Excellent. Um, love the six-inch scale. Um, we talked about before, I've, I've had some of the um, lightning figure Power Rangers and some other six inch scales. I love six inches because that's the same size as my daughter's dollhouse. Okay. So I'm buying action figures for her that I can play with and we've got the coolest playhouse ever, right? Um so we got just action figures everywhere. Finally went in on the G.I. Joe after watching this show for too many episodes. And you're talking about it every episode. <laughs> yeah, we do talk about G.I. Joe resist. a lot. Um I went for the Origins, Snake Eyes Origins, which is not a good movie. Um have you seen it yet? Oh yeah, I saw it a Did long you finally time ago. see it? Okay. Um yeah. there's so many episodes where you say you hadn't seen
2: Yeah, no, I saw
3: it. Kind of a yeah. running joke there for a while. Yeah. What do you think of the movie?
2: So, I think that it was, you know, it's a it's it's somebody that doesn't know GI Joe attempting to make a GI Joe movie right. but looking at trends and trying to, you know, check off a, bo- a lot of boxes. Yeah. Um it kills me because the character has such a good background. There's no need to totally yeah. reinvent it. I understand modernizing it. Like Marvel took Iron Man out of Vietnam and put him into the Desert Storm, Afghanistan type era you know conflict I get that you can't have
3: I like the way the other G.I. Joe movies did that yes um, I, I, I love the hammer run in the comics but it doesn't make sense to have a Vietnam vet as your G.I. Joe anymore correct have a 70 year old man as our Duke doesn't make as much sense right that worked for Sergeant Slaughter that didn't work for anybody else on the team yeah you need to bring it into Afghanistan Iraq some modern conflict or just
2: a fictional conflict I'm a- okay with absolutely
3: you. I love that too um, I think the last two movies did that better than yeah. this snake eyes so origin the, did.
2: the the, the other series of movies, they made Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow know each other as kids, which is okay. I don't think right. it's quite as dramatic because you have you have less time to build this bond of like we are brothers, right? And uh. The idea that one of them gets framed for killing the uncle seems a lot odder because if he's a ninja master and he got killed by a little kid, like <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> so the adult it, you kind of do need them to be adults or at least young adults. I you like know? that aspect of it, um, and I like the I like the idea of them serving together in the military because that that's a kind of a universally understood
4: mm-hmm. brotherhood.
2: brotherhood bond. building um, So in sure. this movie, you had their bond is that they they kind of like looked out for each other's back in a group of backstabbers anyway for six months maybe yeah What's the it time just, movement it, in this it movie? wasn't that yeah. long and uh my my biggest problem is that Snake Eyes is pretty much a bad guy throughout the whole movie
3: he should be the hero I sort of like that I like what they were trying to do okay there's a different edit that movie out there somewhere that I hope we get one day okay um You know that was supposed to really build the Hasbro brand of movies, a whole Hasbro cinema. Right. If there are any references to other Hasbro properties besides GI Joe, they are so subtle I missed it. Yeah. And we're not used to toy movies being subtle coming out of the Bay era. um, We're not used to that kind of subtlety. And maybe the Snake Eyes is absolutely a linchpin, and we'll look back on it as this great thing. If we have this other universe component, but I don't think so. You know, where's our Matt Tracker reference? Where's our other toy line reference? You know, where are the Transformers at in this thing? Um, I love what they're trying to do with Scarlet. They're trying to kind of have the G.I. Joe's an existing um, entity out there and then bring Snake Eyes in later. Sort of makes sense. There's a lot of really good ideas that I think mm-hmm. almost work, but don't.
2: I also found that the, the mysticism stuff just kind of came off as goofy. Like Yeah. the The trials, having a giant snake sniff him was you know, not a good
3: move. Uh... Well, I don't know. It's such an old classic kung fu sort of thing, right? And they're really trying to blend that kung fu movie with a military action movie. There's there's a lot of things happening at once here. Correct. I'd love to see the other cut of this movie. I think there's a a version of this film that works out there somewhere that did not focus group well to everybody in a shopping mall, and we never are going to see it. Right. Of course, I still want to see the other cut of the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles. Mm. Remember that girls um, yeah. was reshot right. because the focus groups were concerned or the internet was concerned. Somebody was overly concerned that they were going to be aliens and not mutated right. in a sewer somewhere, and we just couldn't have that and we have a horrible train wreck of a movie that we've been dogging on for years, but that's not the movie he tried to give us. Right. Right? And I think Michael Bay will never do another big property movie again because of the fandoms. Yeah. And especially the fandom, like the sway fandom has right now on manipulating properties, reshooting Sonic, Mm -hmm. changing the Ninja Turtles, somebody doing something in this movie that I think clearly worked somewhere but didn't by the time it came to the consumers on Amazon Prime. I don't know. just There's a different version out there somewhere. Um, And I love a good Beyblade joke about Michael Bay Beyblades. Yeah. He'll never touch it because he's never going to touch another big fandom property like that, I don't think. And you know, at the end of the day, we need more original concepts and less I mean, rehashes anyway. It's so also
2: it. why Lucas got out of Star Wars. I don't it's fault him for that at all. The, the fans, fans pushed
3: just, him out. We yeah. don't talk about that enough sometimes. Um, but I did choose these figures particularly um, and not the maybe arguably better G.I. Joe classified figures because these had the right amount of accessories for me. Okay. Um, once we talk about this on the show, they're going to go back – with me home, we're gonna open these up. They're gonna go in my daughter's playhouse. I've got you know, alternate heads where I need them. I've got the just enough military esque figures or swords or something in there to be fun with them. I've got a cool action figure that does everything I want to do pose wise. I don't have twenty extra hands to throw in a box. Yeah, you know, and, and my daughter's gonna be the you know at ten years old is gonna be the main person playing with these, and she doesn't need a, more hands in her box of. Power right. Ranger hands yeah um, we never change the hands out we find the hands she likes I help her with them and then they just stay in that hand and it's usually the grab accessory hand it's that true. we go with it's true I don't think there are any fist hands actually as a fist on an action figure on any of those action figures we buy um, and so I went for these um, love the Scarlet with her crossbow love the Storm Shadow I'll eventually pick up one of the many many Snake Eyes yeah. maybe the Fortnite Snake Eyes um, but one of the um, Snake Eyes is, and we'll throw them into the, the toy bin together but yeah
2: it's cool that you're, that you're getting to play with uh, you know, toys that have a tie-back to, to your childhood Absolutely. with your daughter. I, think I love really cool. that.
3: And, you know, I, I like a lot of collectors. I you know, have these big boxes of things I want her to play with that I've even not – they're in the attic. Yeah. You know, my 25th Joe tote is a big tote of great Joes that don't play very well. Yeah. They don't stand well. They're just super frustrating. By the time she can manipulate that, if she's not really into the G.I. Joe brand, she's never going to care Yeah, unless she gets into figure photography or the hobbies that seem to work really well with that air of over-articulation. Um, And the six inch, the articulation is there, but you get a little bit better posability, I think, than the four inch, the three and a quarter, supersized, whatever we were doing back then. Um, But yeah, I want the playability. I want to share the toys with my kid. And I can do it with my superpowers. I can do that with my vintage um, He Man. I can do that with the retro line, origin Mm -hmm. stuff. I can do that with six inch sometimes. Yeah. But there's a lot of six inch figures on the shelves I look at, like, yeah, it's just not going to play well. I'm going to get frustrated. She's going to be frustrated. Just leave it there.
2: Even the Snake Eyes movie uh, kitty toy line, because there was there was yes. these figures, and then there were ones that were totally geared towards little kids. I'm right. still trying to find the Night Creeper from that line. Right. They did a Night Creeper in the kitty line that looks like the vintage Night Creeper figure mm-hmm. in aesthetic. And I just kind of wanted one for my collection. But my my stepson got one of the Snake Eyes and motorcycle sets from right. the, the kitty line, and you can stand Snake Eyes on it, and he does like a spin yep. kick thing. It is such a frustrating toy for him,
3: and the motorcycles were at least integral to that movie. Yes, so many toy lines that are more or less tied to a, a property like that give you a motorcycle because the cheapest vehicle to produce in a line. At least they put the motorcycles in the movie. Those right. electric bikes are very prominently throughout that movie. Somebody, it's not a one-off scene.
2: Somebody at Hasbro though was probably giving them notes on toyetic oh, sure. scenes and like here's our toy a, line. Let's do put it. Put in put in a motorcycle, you know, because that's toy. Kids love motorcycles um that's another like another reason that it's also great. They fit in right. packaging easy, there they're not that many parts to make, but also kids just identify with motorcycles. That's why like the new He-Man Netflix show th- there aren't motorcycles in the show, but there's to- motorcycles in the toy line. Right. Like kids just are drawn to that.
3: Yeah, I didn't get past the um the animated new He-Man yeah. very far. I just come off of the Kevin Smith version and right. loved it that was too much CGI too fast. I, I needed it's a little break.
2: definitely aiming at a very different audience.
3: I'll probably enjoy it in six months and a year when I go back to it, but just one after the other was Whiplash too much. Too much, yeah. Um, if I'd went straight from that Shira, which I love, the Shira Princess of Power, okay. if I'd went straight from that to anything else, I probably would've been too Whiplash too. I need a little bit of a pause there to to reset. And as a Master Universe fan, it's been really weird the past few years to, to be, be living on that one rumor of that one movie we've still yeah. not got after 30 years. Yeah. But have so much Masters Universe so fast on the shelves, so many toy lines hitting all at once, two I, to three shows, maybe fourth one in the works. I
2: keep hoping that G.I. Joe can somehow figure that out. Like and the Snake Eyes movie they were hoping was gonna do that for it, but it didn't.
3: You know, there, a lot of things went wrong with that Snake Eyes movie, I'm sure. Yeah. Um I'm I would love to know about the production. Secrets we're never gonna hear. Yeah. By all the notes, all the changes, all the rewrites, whose ideas were these things. Right. Um, you know, I really wish a G.I. Joe movie would work like the old Larry Hammer comics. Not that storyline necessarily, as much as I love it, but just give a group of creators a toy line. This is the what the vehicle's gonna be. Here's your play set, here's your action figures. Tell me a story. Let them start by playing with this on a table until they can come up with a story that sort of makes sense, then refine it that way, versus having a screenwriter make a beautiful script and then realize there's no toys in it. Let's add more of this, add more of that. Yeah. Right. Um, I actually love the last two G.I. Joe movies. Okay. Um, I was really big getting... Um, Rise of Cobra and Retaliation. Yeah, Rise of mm-hmm. Cobra Retaliation. I was really getting that n- nostalgia hit anyway. The action figures were coming back for anniversary. I love those movies. And often when I talk tell people that, they, they think it's weird. Okay. But I think they are a really good representation of that old cartoon. Yeah. They're as playful and as weird as that cartoon was. And I was always puzzled by people that said they love the... Um, the old classic 80s cartoon, but hated on these new movies, mm. it's the same thing tonally. It's just action figures playing with toys that yeah. has a little bit of a story.
2: <laughs> I I wish that they had uh, toned the Joe team down a little bit for the first one. They went too big too fast. Maybe. Like right. Let us get to know some of the, the core team members. I felt like not having Cobra Commander be Cobra Commander in it was a misstep.
3: I like the origin story aspect. It leads the in the, origins, the second movie. The origin right?
2: story yeah. aspect is fun.
3: They did tone down they, the amount of Joes we had in that second movie. They
2: tied in so many people, right. too. Like, like, it was the origin of a lot of characters. Yep. and And I think that was kind of what was wrong with it. Like, you, you were giving an origin for Baroness, an origin for Duke, an origin for Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. Like, it was, like, too many origins in one. Yeah. I think, have a small team of Joes, give us the origin for one or two of them, or make it the origin of the Cobra characters and just have the Joes established as a small team. But it was like Cobra is getting established and Joe is a huge force already, mm-hmm. which usually it's the other way around. Cobra right. is like this massive thing and this Joe's reaction small to it. group of our mobile strike force kind of thing, you know?
3: Right. Well, and how so, much do we need origin stories? Yeah. We look at the Snake Eyes still. I'm still the, I've am got Snake Eyes staring at me. You're looking at Storm Shadow. Yeah. And I start, I'm looking at Snake Eyes. That's the only thing on the back of this box is Snake Eyes. No cross-sell, nothing. It's just right. a giant picture of Snake Eyes. Um, do we need origin stories at all? Tom Holland's Spider-Man points to the fact that you don't we don't really it. need it. You don't need it. And you know, we can kind of do a throwaway line in some movie somewhere and we can have it.
2: Snake Eyes didn't have an origin in the comic. I think that's Not for a very long time. the biggest mistake here is that they tried to tell... All this interesting background for an interesting character up front in one movie and instead right. it's better to have him be just a mysterious guy yep. and you slowly find things out. Even even in the first set of movies mm-hmm. in Rise of Cobra, they didn't just give you straightforward here's his whole story. It was like flashback, after flashback, 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 flashback. Yep. and that works better for Snake Eyes I think than – Here's his whole life story.
3: And I'm pretty sure it's, you know, a couple good scripts, a toy line, and then having to merge those two things yep. together made that happen. It's not perfect, but yeah. it was fun. I like that it was fun. It was colorful. It was bright. Things are exploding. We yo-joed enough. I'm I happy. enjoyed the second movie a lot, um, I liked the second movie. It had the kind of Renegades vibe to it because yep. we were tripping them back down to a small group. They're on the run for the entire movie. Cobra seems to be winning, which we don't see nearly felt enough. felt more like Cobra, which was Absolutely. A, a positive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um I wanted that kind of energy to kind of transfer through. And that, one of the things that hurts the Snake Eyes movie is that we were been rumored that Snake Eyes movie since those original yes. sets. And it seemed like we were really gonna have that version of Snake Eyes or something. Yeah. And then we get this. A new and the expectations are wrong. Yeah. It's like the um the all female cast of the Ghostbusters. Yeah, Knowing what the expectations should be. If you look at the marketing going up to that, is it a reboot? Is it a new story? Ultimately I think fans would have liked either, but the marketing sold us on both at the same time, and then we couldn't get what we wanted out of that movie because yeah. we didn't know what we wanted. You know, the trailer production smile just didn't jive. Yeah, and maybe that that's sense. what's going on with Snake Eyes too. Maybe the trailer was showing us something like we knew from the Rocks movie, and then we get this, and it's just not that world anymore. I don't know. There's not a lot of explanation of Scarlet or the Joes or the Baroness character. You have a few lines here or there. That's all we need. Yeah. You know, these are the good guys. These are the bad guys. Your ninjas are somewhere in the middle. Let's play. That was enough.
2: Yeah. I I also didn't really like that they tried to make Snake Eyes a legacy member of the team.
3: Yeah, that was he, a little weird in the very end. But the whole is, end of that movie's odd.
2: He is like the kind of most badass member of the Joes. Right. So he doesn't need to get in because his dad was in. Yeah. He, he should be, be able to pass guy. his own audition. I think like, so. Like they're like – Have you seen this guy fight in the entire movie? He's in. Yeah, Yeah. right. Which is is the comic story revealed much later, but, you know, Stalker says to Hawk, we need to get this buddy of mine from Vietnam, like, let's go get him, and, you know.
3: I like the way they handle Jinx, I think. It's probably a fairly decent version of Jinx, who's not a character I'm that attached to, so that was fine. That was good. Um, I love the fact that the ninjas have this weird technology to kind of build the technology into the ninja mythos, which then does get weird with all the mysticism we have to throw in. right. And sporadically and unevenly. Um, but I actually like the fact they gave him a suit at the end. A vow of silence would have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> Before he checks out, let's go back to the Elder Woman and do a vow of silence right quick. I will bring Tommy back or I will never speak again. Right. That's all I needed. One more line and I loved it probably. But I'm, I'm on the fence. It's, it's okay. There's a better version of that movie out there. I, yeah. Um, I think these toys are the best version of those toys, but there's definitely a better version of that movie out there
2: and it, it did not push the toys well enough unfortunately that well, the, snake pandemic eyes issues. and storm shadow obviously will sell yeah but all of the all of the females are i can still find on the pegs
3: locally you know and, and- um. There's some pandemic issues there, some release yep. issues. For sure. When the toy came out versus when the movie came out. Yep. It's a tough time to judge. I do I do
2: that understand moment, that, you know? for sure.
3: Um, I'm a lot more critical on the Thundercats, um, the Cartoon Network Thundercats, yeah. that had canceled the show before the toys ever hit yeah. and then cited poor sales on the toys. Right. No, <laughs> I'm not sure that timeline works out. Speaking, sure. of the Speaking of Thundercats,
2: my new to the collection, I brought the Super 7 Chitara figure with me. Let me pull her out of her shipper box here.
3: Look at a Segway today. Yeah, we're doing pretty good. Get the vamp while you open that package. We'll be great.
2: So the Super Seven. For those of you that don't know, I don't know anybody that's watching the show that doesn't know. But Super Seven makes high-end articulated figures uh, based on tons of classic properties. Mm-hmm. And they they did Masters of the Universe. Yep. They're doing GI Joe. They're doing Thundercats, Silverhawks, Silverhawks. Got toxic me so excited. Crusaders. Mm-hmm.
3: I love Toxic Crusaders. Glad he's on the set today. So one, to to yeah.
2: one of the bad things for me about this line is that I don't really open them.
4: Mm. I, I
2: want to open them, but I have... I was started getting them around the time I sort of ran out of space in the display I sure. had and didn't never really transition to a new display and then I was like getting ready to move. So
3: it's hard to open the boxes when you know you're gonna have to pack them back in the boxes. Right.
2: So I yeah. I love this line and I really am looking forward to getting them out of the package eventually.
3: I want to love that line.
2: They look so good.
3: I wish I don't know. I wish the price point could come down to the point I could yes. splurge on it.
2: They are definitely not, not impulse a buys and you basically have to know you want them two years before right. you're gonna get it in hand.
3: I never did that version of collecting. When the two okay. thousand X He Man went all online, I was yeah. out. You know, I grabbed the last few things I could off of the uh, clearance aisles. I never went to the subscriptions with Maddie Collector. I just I, I didn't cross that line.
2: And I, I, I totally get that and it took a lot for me to get into it and it basically the Maddie Collector stuff was what eventually sucked me in. I found right. I found the the Maddie Collector He Man stuff because they were doing the tie ins with Robot Chicken. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, how do you get these – besides this Comic-Con one, how do you get these other ones? I found the Pixel Dan channel, Mm -hmm. uh, started watching his reviews, and then like it turned out that you could only get them for like two minutes on the day they got released. I was Uh like, how does that work? And then I I ended up stumbling upon a – like a Cyber Monday sale Mm -hmm. on Maddie Collector a few months later and I was able to pick up a He-Man and Skeletor and like two other figures and I was like alright I'm in I've got my entry point things
3: they did some promotions trying to yes bring people in which is which, which great. is smart you have yeah. to
2: keep those main characters on the on the peg so to speak or nobody wants to jump in if
3: Maybe we have a little bit too much He Man and Skeletor on the pegs right now. Well, that that is true. <laughs> your main character in your show is a pig warmer right now. Something went wrong. But if
2: you can't, if a, if if a collector or a kid can't get the main character, right. They don't they don't want the third tier characters. Sure. And that's where that's where the He Man line was when I jumped in. It was like okay, so I could subscribe and get a bunch of
5: really B, cool characters, B and C list yeah, characters King that I'd love to have, but and, no He Man.
2: Yeah. So when I once I was able to get He Man Skeletor, I jumped in on that line and. Pretty much since then, I've been hardcore on a lot of these collector lines because I, it's it's a little bit of fear of missing out. Like I
3: don't FOMO. It'll yeah, get you. yeah, but
2: I really do love these figures. They're great figures. Kind of what you were saying though. They they often justify the price of these by saying how many accessories they come with, which makes sense. But once I take it out of the package, I don't really care about half the accessories. You got like
3: a tackle box or something I'm, somewhere. I'm right? never
2: switching the heads after I take them out of the package. Um, I'm n- probably not going to use the episode-specific accessories, even though they're super cool.
3: Do those heads switch well? Have you ever tried to switch a head? They're not bad, yeah.
2: Okay. I mean, I haven't tried it with one of the Thundercats, but the He-Man stuff they made, they switched right. fine.
3: I know the G.I. Joe and the Power Rangers. The head's popping. is real nice. It'll yeah, like it's really not to hold too bad. up. The wrists I, are, are problematic. I worry but, about the wrists a lot more yeah. than the
2: heads. The peg's so much smaller. Sure. So, but yeah, Super 7, I love all their stuff. Um, I, I was tempted with the Transformers. They're non-transforming, but they're based on the cartoon. Right. Um. I kind of skipped it because it's just it's sort of the same thing. It's just so many accessories for a very expensive figure, right. and really, I I almost could just have like a vinyl or a PVC and put it on the shelf, and it's the same thing for me because I'm about. not doing like toy photography with it, right? It's great, like I, some of the stuff people do with like the neck and Ninja Turtles and oh, things. Man, it looks Love fantastic. That on if Absolutely. that's what you're
4: into,
3: I'm scrolling I'm, Instagram, liking everything. I'm they're glad the to they're set that up. giving yeah. you
2: all those accessories Absolutely. for that. But yep. for for your average collector, it's baggies and baggies of just stuff. Tackle box that you don't somewhere. Have to deal
0: with. Yeah. yeah
2: Which is tricky.
3: That is it's tough.
2: So we're here to talk about choose your own adventure. Well nice, and similar things. Nice
3: like set that. of action figure discussion before we get to books. Yeah. I'm an English teacher, we've got to talk about the books. <laughs> but I think what we're talking about is manipulating the narrative. Okay. Right. And in my generation, when I grew up, you only caught that episode one time a day after school. Yeah. You know, and then you had the toys. So you could watch 30 minutes of a toy commercial like He-Man and then go play the He-Man for a while. Yep. And we were absolutely manipulating those toys to be the show. Mm-hmm. And the first time I ever talked about a you know, character being out of character was not in a literary discussion. It was in a sandbox in a playground somewhere. He-Man wouldn't do that. That He-Man's out of character. What are you doing through He-Man? Because we took the mini-pack in comics, we took the cartoons, we figured out what the rules of this world are, and we replicated that Mm -hmm. because we had to. We couldn't stream He-Man 24 hours a day on Netflix loops. We couldn't watch the entire series at once. You got what you got. You had to play the toys to figure out the rest. And I think that the Choose Your Adventure books are really another way of manipulating those characters, especially when you get into all the um, ones that tie into the actual J.I. Joe, Transformers, He-Man, you're definitely going to see that you're manipulating those characters. But I think all of this version of book, this version of genre, is all about manipulating that character. Right. So, interactive fiction is the term I like. It's a blanket term. Yep. Interactive fiction is the one that is used most often with the video games. Right. They're the the pre graphics video games where you're trying to put in commands, turn left, turn right. Interactive fiction is what people, people call that version of adventure game. Okay. Right? Interactive fiction, I think, stretches over to choose your own adventure books, give yourself goosebumps, um, some solo RPG experiences. There's a lot of vocabulary there. I never try to say the choose-your-own-adventure as the genre because choose-your-own-adventure is a brand, and they will sue you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as they did with Netflix. And honestly, on the street, with hanging out with other collectors that love this type of reader manipulation, um, we all say choose-your-own-adventure as... The, the, the scope. Right. But it's not. It's the brand, and they will fight for that brand. And they have sort of reprinted the books. Um, there okay. is merchandise that ties into the books, like the, the game from Z-Man Games. There's a couple of those. They've got some t-shirts out there floating around. Um, it is absolutely the brand. And it's also the simplest version of interactive fiction. Is the kind of choose-your-own-adventure path-picking mm-hmm. sort of piece that you've got some experience with, right?
2: Yeah, so choose-your-own-adventure books were obviously super popular when I was a kid. The the school library when I was a kid had a spinny rack of mm-hmm. just choose your own adventure, find your fate, sure. pick a path. Like There were so many different series, as you were saying. And they basically
3: all work the same They're way. all
2: the same concept. It, right. you know, as a kid, like people say with Kleenex and tissue you know, or rollerblades yep. and inline skates,
3: everyone just called them choose your own adventure books whether they were – Dempsey Dumpster is my favorite example. Okay. You know, your trash receptacle is never a dumpster unless it's a Dempsey Dumpster the same way that those dollar store self-adhesive strips you're buying for your kids are not Band-Aids. Right. They're self-adhesive strips. Choose Your Own Adventure is this kind of weird moment where they could become the genre name, but they're fighting to remain the name of the IP, the name of the the, the, the group. So Choose Your Own Adventure by one particular publisher, one particular set of authors, one particular moment in time is absolutely, specifically the brand that. Right. But anybody out there that's listening and watching um, that's ever had to choose your own adventure from any version of it. That's what we're talking about today. Yeah. Right? That kind of manipulation where you read to the bottom of the page, it gives you a couple of choices, and then you figure out where you're going from there. A little bit of black and white art, a little bit of text, um, always crazy adventures like skateboard champions or fighting bears. Um, and choose your own adventure at the widest scope of what you're doing. Playing with Unicorns, whatever. And they are being republished. Um, and if you haven't read these in a while, a lot of school libraries have gotten rid of these because libraries like to have update collections. Right. And so the originals are going away. A lot of these I've bought at um, library scales or discarded library books, which I love, discarded library books. I um, just love buying them because you get all this stuff. Yeah, But... They're, they're being reissued. Um, the one great thing about the new one is it's more or less the same text as before that you grew up with. So you can have that book that you can pass on to your kid. The same way, I want to play with my toys with my child. I can give the book I grew up on and a better version to my child. But I love on the back, they actually have the maps of how the story progresses. That's actually pretty cool. So you cool. can actually see that tree of choices and how many choices you actually have. Yeah. Because so the front's going to say 19 choices or 80 choices. Right. Right. And these range about 80 to 100 pages. Having 70 to 80 choices doesn't give you t- much time to develop a story, but it is what it is, right? And I love the new versions of these. They're not reprinting all of them, but the ones that do have this really cool map on the back, mm. which is really nice. A lot of collectors are loving that map. A lot of people in the fandom of been making that map for years anyway yeah. as they read them.
2: We had gotten – when I was a kid, uh, we got one of the G.I. Joe books from the library, and my sister was like reading it aloud to me. I think I was pretty young, and so – was probably a pretty weak reader at the time so my sister was like reading it to me and you know she, she would get to a page and you know okay you can do this or you can do that and, right. and turn to these pages and I always pick the like the bold choice in these books and always end up dying like yeah. I I'm terrible or was terrible at them when I used to read them as a kid uh, so if, if you volunteer to go in on the recon with one of your buddies turn to page uh, 36 if you work out a good plan with the rest of the team, turn to page 82. Well, I'm going to volunteer and go on the recon. Like I, I always right. jump for the action Joe. thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, so I kept dying and getting really frustrated. So my sister found like a decent ending in the book um, and worked backwards <laughs> and then read me the complete, that Particular path that she figured out, but it's so funny now that they it's actually the have the five finger
3: bookmarks, what yeah. we call it in the fandom circles, right? Where you're, you're putting your fingers on all these different options, so if you backwards. mess up, you can go backwards right. and figure out where you're at. That's yeah, really five funny. Five finger bookmark, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of um, Facebook groups, a lot of um, ways to connect with collectors that love this style. Um, but yeah, the Choose Your Own Adventure was a, a piece into itself, a company into itself, an idea into itself, had a lot of competitors in the marketplace in the 80s, early 90s, yeah. late 70s, starting in the late 70s. And a lot of the other um, brands, a lot of the other companies, decided the best way to sell these books is to go in on the merchandise of another licensed property. So maybe you're not going to sell skateboards and Skateboard Champion in the same store, but somebody for Christmas can give you an, a G.I. Joe or a Transformers or a Thundercats, or a gym, or a Doctor Who, because they know you like that. Right. They want you to read more. They know you like this toy. You talk about this cartoon all the time. Have a book, kid, mm-hmm. um, which worked out really well. You know, a lot of kind of disposable kids' media, um, written to be lost in a toy box somewhere, ripped apart, colored. Um, a lot of times you'll um, find collectors really upset people have written their names in them. Oh well, yeah. Of course a kid wrote their name in their book. Their, right. you know, their book, write your name in it like you did in school. Right. right? Um most of this line, the choose your own adventures, the find your fates, pick your path, these other kinds of competing lines, a lot of them were aimed at boys. Yes. I love when Penelope comes on and has that big discussion of action figures aren't for boys or girls, just for kids. Right. I agree. Books are not for boys or girls, they're for kids. But as I flip through this, only one of these licenses was a license aimed at a girl. Right. Audience. And then the rest of them were absolutely aimed at a boy audience. Not saying that we can't have readership of whatever... But definitely, they did hedge their bets a little bit. A
2: lot of these, the actual Choose Your Own Adventure books, too, the, the generic you character is male in the artwork and things it's like almost that.
3: almost always assumed to be a male character. Yeah. Um, there are some lines, we'll note a little bit later, that tried to have the female representation. There's some lines that tried to have a gender-neutral reference okay. point, which I think's brilliant. Um, The problem with a gender-neutral reference point is that in American culture, we always read a narrator as a white male narrator until we're told something different. Mm. So you have a young girl reading a gender-neutral story and assume it's a guy because all the other stories are about guys. All your big stories are about guys. It must be this one is too. Yeah. And so I love gender-neutral. When I wrote my book, I tried to stick to gender-neutral, and I realized, oh, every reader is assuming this is a guy, even though it doesn't have to be and probably isn't. Right. but that kind of general neutrality that a few of the lines tried for doesn't really work. You need to have you are Jim and the holograms, right? Or you are a female GI Joe cadet, right? Because most of the GI Joe books, you're not actually one of the core GI Joes. You're no, you're always guy. you're always a new guy, and it's He's funny because they,
2: they they give them a code name. They usually don't really have a speciality <laughs> right. though, but it's just sort of something generic. Yep. and that's part of the fun of these these books. Um, I don't know if it if it's easy to find what the code names are. Um, one of my buddies, Hooded Cobra Commander Seven Eight, reads these on a live stream once mm-hmm. in a while, sure. and he will, uh, you know, then have the the people watching pick. Uh, just trying to scan. Yo, yo, Delta. So your name is Delta in this one. <laughs> Original. Uh, and I assume, I assume this is Delta right here. Just a, a snow job looking generic Joe with yep. a hood. Yep. Uh, but that tends to be what happens in these books: is that yep. you're you're the new guy, and uh, you you meet the Joes for the first time, and and you do something pretty. Uh, pretty remarkable on your first mission despite being the most generic guy ever. You right.
3: Know? Yeah. And so... For people my age, these are Choose Your Adventure books. Yeah. Pick a path, Find Your Fates. We kind of used those um, those series as the name of it, which made it hard when I wanted to get back into it as an adult because I didn't know what they were called. Mm. I'd never heard interactive fiction or nonlinear storytelling. You know, I was in a master's program, and we're talking about linear storytelling. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I heard this as a kid. Yeah. And I'm reading a Russian author doing it as a, a classic novel, but I remember these books. I know these books. <laughs> but, you know, And those kind of point of view discussions when I was in high school or my early college experience from my first-person point of view of view or third person point of view. I kept asking about second person point of view, and they kept saying, Well, that's just rare. You don't ever read that. Yes, I did. I was you. <laughs> yeah. You, know, um, you are the hero. So, but so my generation, it's like choose your own adventure, find your fate. There's the titles that we kind of grew up with, there's the titles we know, mostly aimed at a male audience, but not exclusively. There's a, a age group where they call them all. Give yourself Goosebump books mm-hmm. because the next big brand was the Give Yourself Goosebumps.
2: Did you ever read Goosebumps, Kevin? I read the, the Goosebumps, not the Give Yourself Goosebumps right. version, but the original series, probably the first 20, 25 books. I probably read all of them.
3: You know, I read 200 of them. It feels like one summer. Okay. Um, I was curious what Stein was doing. How was Stein writing that many books? I bought a lot of the, the books at the thrift shop um, cheap and I read maybe 200 of them wow. in a single summer because they don't take they're long. They're not hard reads uh, at all. One of the things I didn't realize as a young man, my, my brother's eight years younger than I am. Okay. So I read Goosebumps books to him as a kid because yeah. he was a struggling reader. So I was reading to him, kind of helping out. I loved Goosebumps reading to him. But when I as an like adult, actually reading them at Mass, I realized you had male characters, female characters. He really had a very diverse group of characters, and mm-hmm. he was very intentionally making them very diverse, yeah. which was nice. Something we didn't see a decade previous in a lot of kids' literature, but Stein was really into that way back in the early 90s. I
2: wonder if it's something that he may have learned through these, because, so, actually, here's one of the G.I. Joe books that R.L. Stein wrote, Right, um, it, writing all these super generically, because um, he definitely says in some interviews, back when he was writing the Goosebumps books, that, like, he would work in Kids he, his kids' friends' names or right. kids in the neighborhood's names and so if he kind of just realized like, oh, the girls in the neighborhood like these scary stories, the boys like them uh, you know, all these different kids from different places and we want to have a wide audience you know, I don't, I don't know if he figured that out on his own or if it was through market research or just his experience in I the literary world that. for so long, sure. it would be a great question to yeah, ask Yeah,
3: Stein him. did a lot of writing before Goosebumps. he was for just sure. writing anything he could, did a lot of the Choose Your Own Adventure, Find Your Fate sort of books, um Dragons of Sword Walk or Swords of Dragon Walk. I mean, there's, there's a lot of R.L. Stein or, or Stein type names up there. Um, and some of them are co written to him and his wife, it seemed like, if okay. I remember correctly. And so I wonder kind of how the selling of different books to different audiences influenced him finally getting goosebumps Which was to his, appeal to like, everybody. Big. And he didn't really know it was going to be that going into it, but it winds up becoming that. And I think one of the reasons it winds up becoming that is because it was accessible to every reader. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just the boy's book. I read a few of them, but I feel weird now. It was just a book for everybody. You can find a hero like you. And I think it's a very important part of manipulating the kind of internal story after you've read it and you're kind of thinking about these things, right? As we do with books and media anyway. Right. Um, Just you get a little more control when you can decide are we fighting the gator? Are Are we going to Wolfman? Yeah. Right. And so the Give Yourself Goosebumps were very popular these are not being reprinted even though a lot of the early Goosebumps books are still in print these are a little bit harder to find for that kind of okay. collector kind of vibe um, most of this is out of print Choose Your Own Adventures are back in print but most of these are out of print and harder to find if you just want to a new hobby besides action figures. Give yourself Goosebumps is a good place to start. These are a little bit tricky to find at okay. times. These can command a little bit of money at times. I think one of mine says I paid a dollar for it, so good for me. But they're getting harder and harder to find. There's like 40 of these, okay. in a long run, a couple different cover treatments. Um, so at the end of the run, they're trying to appeal to the digital audience with like a computerized kind of look. And then slime and shiny stuff is always sold at classic book fairs. So yeah. we've got that. There's 42 books on slime total, if I remember correctly. You know, they're all consistent with your Goosebumps kind of experience. Yeah, It's a horror story um, in about a third of the page count because you've got to pack in 10, 15, 20 endings to yeah. this book now. And so rather than having that one horror movie experience, we're getting like a horror TV show experience, I guess. It's a little bit faster, but it's the stuff you you know from there. Um, did you read Animorphs?
2: I did not. That was That was kind of like right after me. I was probably – in late elementary school, when they started hitting, and it just, I was, I was clinging to goosebumps, and I think the kids just under me were getting into animorphs.
3: <laughs> yeah, goosebumps. Is my brother's generation, he never really got into animorphs, so I didn't either. I saw a ton of animorphs um, through the thrift stores. I was looking for goosebumps or looking for old books for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm always bumping into animorphs because they were everywhere for a very yeah. long time. Long running series by the Applegates, which is like a husband wife team. Um, again, some male characters, female characters. They only had two of the Ultramorphs or turnomorphs, or turnomorphs. Only two of this where you actually get that kind of give yourself goosebump reading experience. Okay. And again, it's very much just find your way through it, um, find a choice, make a choice, but in that
0: world. Um,
3: I don't get much out of this book because I don't understand the world. I don't really want to read 5,000 books to understand these two books. It's kind of a a weird cost ratio. But if you're big into the, you know, that kind of scholastic book fair generation, this may have been something that you missed that you want want to pick back up. Hmm. And a lot of people are still reading the Alternomorphs. Yeah. Um, See fan groups all the time that this was still great. I think they're still being reprinted, but they're like changing it to add cell phones. Oh, weird! To yeah, modernize re- a little bit. Yeah, the, I I guess that makes sense. It does to kind of make it make sense to a new young person because a new young person understands cell phones everywhere. I
2: don't think I ever thought about updating.
3: R.L. L. Stein's a been book. pushing back against it. So if you read a Goosebump book, it's still the one you grew up with but okay. reprinted, um, which is good because many classic horror stories are defeated by a cell phone. Yes. Something's in my closet. My parents aren't here. I'm going to call 911. Right. You know, the dummy no, my, can't my, take down the cell phone tower.
2: I My friend's dad growing up wrote comics. Right. And he always said, like, Batman Year One was such a great thing because it's set about 10 years before the current time. Right. They, it's sort of a floating timeline because eventually Batman Year One hits modern cell phone era and suddenly... It's weird. All the detective stuff... Becomes
3: well, we'll Google search it, that yeah, all of a sudden, it doesn't really. really work anymore. And Wayne Industries, well, I'm sure, will own the, the Google of that <laughs> universe. Yeah. but it's still going to be a Bat search, it's right? It's older thing than the Bat computer in the Adam West cave, right. right? And
2: and like actually doing like him knowing all the so much, being the world's greatest detective. When it's just like, well, I can just look it up. I can just look that up. And yeah, everyone else can. Do we the all know the same thing. Separate. yeah, right?
3: And so I think Animorphs is kind of the reprints have struggled there a little bit. Mm. Um, I don't know if these are being reprinted or not. The two only entry in the Alternomorphs, but. Um, yeah, you on that kind of book, on a little bit of a throwback, it's a nice thing to be looking for in your bookshops. Is um, there
2: so? I mean, you know, having studied this a little bit and done right. some writing in this world, is there a like scheme to writing it or or getting it converted into book form? Like, yes. are you planning that turn to this page thing, or are you just like I'm almost imagining like post-it notes? There's this, and then there's this, or there's this. Like how like engineering the book out of it at Every the end. Every
3: author is going to do it a little bit differently, so I want to okay. speak to how they're doing it. Um, but the authors I've spoke with in my books and the, the people I'm talking about contemporaries, a lot of us just kind of lay out the, I want this to happen. Now here's all the points where something else could happen. Let's just play with that too. And if we look at that choose your own adventure where it doesn't go back, yeah. it's just this branch or that branch, that's not that hard to do. Yeah. You know, I've got this conflict resolution, and honestly it's kind of a, a cure for writer's block. I'm in a situation I know it's a cool situation I don't know what needs to happen let it all happen give your audience five choices and write all the versions don't have to weigh out which is the best version just write them all and then see what happens. Um, there's some editing software in the recent years, like Twine is really popular. I don't use it myself. Okay. But um, Twine does the interactive fiction video game. A lot of the, the Steam video games that are, yeah. are set up like this versus a throwback are definitely using Twine because it allows you to kind of map and keep your options and to show you where your choke points were and kind of where your choice points are going to be and then add to that until you're happy with the amount of choices you have. Um Choose Your Own Adventures, The Find Your Fates, you're kind of looking at them on the table. They're all 80 to 100 pages. Yeah. There's definitely a physical concern there. I bet if we started looking at Lexile levels, you know, the, the, the quality of language, the age group of language, we'll see a lot of similar things. There were some Find Your Fate Junior books. Okay. So if you have some Transformers that are Find Your Fate and some Transformers that are Find Your Fate Junior, which mm. are slightly different age groups, slightly different vocabularies. The the font's bigger, the word count's lower to kind of have that sort of dial-in sort of piece. Um, But the initial age group is somewhere between 8 and 14 years old. It's kind of the target demo of the 80s, the 90s specifically. Um, It's interesting when we look back on that, what we thought an 8- to 9-year-old could read then versus what a modern 8- to 9-year-old book is doing now. Right, if you are working in education, I am too. There is a kind of that weird shift in literacy where everyone's more literate but less literate at the same time.
2: Yeah, it's odd. that Kids are learning to read younger. Yeah, like my stepson finished kindergarten and he reads. Right, and when I finished kindergarten, I knew the sounds the letters made. Yeah, and we learned to read in first grade, like we learned the sight words in first grade. Right, uh, so that's interesting. It shifted younger, but as a whole, as a society, we read less.
3: Right, and as a society, we can all read, which is great but we all read less, so we'll be good. And um, in kind of a literary kind of sense, you've got Mark Twain is an interesting piece there. Mark Twain made his money, one of the most successful writers of his generation, didn't sell as many books as Harriet Beecher Stowe or Elizabeth Stuart Phelps, um, but what he made his money on was going book tours because when Mark Twain was alive, the literacy rate was so low he could go out and, do, and read the book to you in your town, and you'd pay him for that because your town wasn't going to read the book. And so he'd come recite Huck Finn to you, put that white suit on, look like Colonel Sanders. That, yeah. that image is the book tour image. It's not something on the book jacket. You know. So that white suit Mark Twain that we think of is that kind of book tour, and he would speak the entire town. Kids would be in the audience. Everyone in the town would be in the audience. He'd pack a picnic, sit out in front of the church or the, the, the town hall, and listen to Mark Twain. And then, when youth literature became a thing, Mark Twain was youth literature because it was all age appropriate. As I had kids in the story, yeah. it's now youth literature because it's about a youth. And then, at some point in the, in, along the line, we realized wait a minute, these things might be a little bit more than a nine year old, even though the main character is nine years old. Let's put it not as an elementary school book, let's make it a middle school book. Or let's make it a high school book, let's make it a college text. And now we don't really need to read Mark Twain, you know. And if you give it to a college student, they struggle with it because the language is antiquated, yeah. the imagery is antiquated, the racism hopefully is antiquated, but maybe not. Um, but that whole kind of shuffle is kind of odd how we kind of treat children's literature in different generations. And reading something like interactive fiction, these choose-your own paths sort of books, you start really seeing what we've done with children's literature in different generations, especially when they're highly marketable, highly popular, definitely aimed at kids. You know, that was a popular way to write children's books in yeah. that time period. And then you see something from 20 years later trying to replicate that. It just seems weird. Yeah, And the TSR is a good segue. Thank you to the TSR books. Um, TSR, of course, at the time was Dungeons and & Dragons. And the Dungeons & Dragons really needs to come into this conversation because these are all solo RPG experiences to some, in some way. Most of them, you're just making choices. There's no other rules attached to it, which is true of these books, which I always thought was kind of odd about the TSR books. Um, what TSR did that I really love, there's um, several different Endless Quests and Hearts Quests, several kind of Versions of this, but they publish books in each of their settings. So if you want to know more about one of the classic D and D settings, you can find the book that just lets you play a game yeah. and go through that setting: types of characters, types of religions, types of races. Um, some Conan because they were doing some licensed Conan work at the time. Also a little harder book to track down, not being reprinted. Um, the TSR's books in general aren't being reprinted. The Conan sells to Conan collectors and yeah. to the you know crazy book readers, so it is a little bit harder to find. Um, But these TSR books are all choice-based sort of pieces. They're basically a choose-your-own-adventure, but set in the D&D world. And I always thought it was kind of odd there wasn't that extra step that added dice back into it and let you bring out some dice into your reading experience to kind of bridge into that D&D kind of way.
2: Would it just have been created too many options or that they'd have to, like, build in? Okay, so you hit or you miss, and then... It does. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, success or failure now makes points, and it takes a little bit more page count, a little bit more option. Um, especially if you want to have the full d d experience of hit points and charisma, intelligence, wisdom. Yeah. And there have been some books that have done that. Um, oddly enough, the He-Man memory and the Memory Stone tried to do that. Okay. Um, this is a choose-your-own-adventure book. that, and that is that looks
2: really low page count. It's
3: really low page count. There's 150 options in less than 150 pages. Wow. You're getting sometimes three to five options on a page. Okay. Um, there's dice rules. There's an entire... Um, how to play the game there at the beginning wow. that has like what do you do with combat there's dice explanations this is a really big swing that fails horribly <laughs> but you've got to give them um, props for at least trying to make a completely different type of book in yeah. a genre that was successful enough um, sadly is the only Master Universe book that ever came out in this kind of format is this one even though they um, show a bunch um, on the, the back the cross sell is not this type of book <laughs> wow. so I oh, okay. did actually like this book I'm sorry, um, but if you did actually like this book, the books it's trying to sell you are completely different. Okay, it's just the big picture, yeah. one image per page books that we all thought about, you know, gotcha. as, as kids' books anyway. Yeah. But I was trying to add dice, and it does do some really weird things. This is just kind of success and failure in combat, so it's not that much more tricky. Okay, more difficult. Excuse me, words, were word words? But then when you get into like a TSR kind of D and D, we've got so many options that would be a crazy amount of Matrixes to play with. Yes, You know, are you limiting them to only making choice based on combat, choice based on charisma score, or do you let them just, how do you get around this? Yeah. You know, can you seduce or fight your way out of this then turn to whatever page you feel like turning to because, you know, that that would make it tricky. I agree. But the neat thing... That might
2: work better as the video game version where Because you you have
3: so many more choices packed into so much less space. Absolutely. Um, The neat thing about the Endless Quest kind of D&D-esque is there's a 5e version of it. Okay. It's not a reprint of the original books, um, and they kind of are weird together. But Matt Forbeck wrote about six of these, and you're a type of a character class, generic character running through it. Some had very f- more, uh, much more female, much more male kind of representation. Um, but the, the amount of language in these books is completely different. Hmm. Being a 5E era book, it's got the 5E illustrations in it. It's got um, very... Contemporary, modern sort of thing. It also has about half the pages of the book that came before it. Okay. You know, what was an eight year old reading in 1990 versus what do you think an eight year old can handle in 2012, 18, no, 2018, 2019, 2019? It's so strange to kind huh. of look at children's literature and to kind of look at what we've done with children's literature over the years. Even in a kind of an encapsulated, small sub genre like interactive fiction, you see a lot of weird changes running through it. Which, from a literary standpoint, I find fascinating and geeky. Um,
2: yeah, no, I, it's it's interesting to me because I haven't gotten to that point really where, like I said, my stepsons sons are, right. are very new readers or, or the one is a very new reader. So we haven't gotten to the point where I'm like, hey, I read this when I was in third grade and he either is blowing it out of the water or, or missing the mark. Like, right. I haven't gotten to that quite experience yet.
3: My daughter enjoyed Jim and the Holograms. Um, doesn't want to... Much to do with any of the rest of it. We were on a um, trip a few weeks ago, which we stopped at used bookstores. I bought some. She actually ran out of books to read. Okay. And then I had this whole stack of books that she begrudgingly read about the Salem Witch Trial and the history kind of era that okay. know, was really popular, trying to make these more educational. Um, and she died quick and was done with it. She yeah. didn't want to read 12 more times to find 12 better endings. She had one ending. She was not satisfied. She judged the entire bookshelf in my house
2: (laughs) it it definitely happened to me too where i yeah i wouldn't want to reread too many times i would always try like go back to that first mistake right Uh, but like i said i always went with the impulsive decision i i've read some of the gi joe ones i read some of the tsr Dungeons dragons books and i had the american revolutionary from the the um uh, time machine series right and uh I always would I'd always pick the, the, the wrong ending. I, I remember having a choose your, your advent choose your own adventure book that was in space yeah. and I suffocated. I touched something in my uncle's workshop and got electrocuted. And I like yeah, I just always would pick the wrong <laughs> the wrong thing.
3: It happens. Um some of them were much more deadly than others. Yes. You know, and some of them were
0: almost impossible to finish. Um
3: which would be fun as a writer to have all these endings floating around that no one can get to. Yeah. Have student kids trying to find a way to get to that path, and it can be fun, Um, but a little bit sadistic at times because some of them are very hard. I remember I had one as a kid um, that I don't have anymore from my childhood collection because most of those books are gone. A lot of them I read from the library anyway because I could read it 14 times before I went back to the library next week during the summer. Right. So I could just get as much book out of here as possible. Um, But one of them, I always got trapped as a Christmas ornament. Huh. It was a Christmas themed one. Okay. And I became the Christmas ornament every path. I couldn't find a way to work it backwards. It just it would not do anything but the stupid Christmas ornament ending. <laughs> which is probably some like big homework moment that nine year old me just did not understand. Yeah. And it probably was supposed to teach me something in life. I didn't learn it. Um, I actually bought it off eBay recently. It'll be home by the time I get home from this trip. Okay. So I'm gonna find out if I can can actually beat that book another way. Nice as an adult. Because nine year old me could not figure it out. I don't know if I was dumb. I don't know. Um, and a lot of these books I experienced with and a lot of the other um, kind of weird niche series I found after I got back into it as an adult. Yeah. And so my personal reading collection stopped somewhere around Goosebumps, Animorphs, even though I wasn't familiar with those. I had read some of the Endless Quests, but didn't realize how many of them there were it was a bunch of those um, as a kid. I didn't know that like the um, Dragon Tales were a thing, and I think young me would have loved this. Um, I, th- I don't know what... Why it's not successful as other ones, but we never talked about Dragon Tales nearly enough. Dragon Tales is, is your basic endless quest, TSR, fantasy sort of adventure, you know, very Dungeon Dragon-esque, very solo RPG, but without dice. Yeah. Um, what's neat about this is that the series had the black covers and the white covers, One of them is the female character, and one's the male character. Oh, same book, but different? No, they're completely different stories. Oh, okay. It's like a giant world, and you're all having adventures in the world. Sometimes you're a woman, sometimes you're a man, a young girl, a young boy. Um, But they're all kind of having these kind of cross-adventures, seeing the same city, seeing the same Hmm. sounds, all kind of loosely tied together. The world itself is a little bit less thought out than a D&D era right, place. Right, right. Because the advantage D&D had was they already had the fleshed out world. They just needed to write a story that in the style in a pre-established world. Right. Right. And TSR also did some educational books, some math books, trying to get these into the school libraries to then you know, get D&D. Yeah. It was a kind of reaction to the satanic panic. I think Endless Quest was a very much a reaction to the satanic panic. They were trying to make it kid-friendly, right. but in a way that wasn't going to piss off church groups with the dice and the, the blatant symbolism. Yeah. Although we do get some really cool um, dragon imagery and some things. So yeah, Nice. But as an adult, I've found a lot more of these than I had known about as a kid. Some things I really wish I had known about as a kid, particularly the British books. Um, I did not realize growing up what was going on in England at the time. Some of these were imported into America but not in quantities that I could get my hands on. So have you heard of the Fighting Fantasy series? No, I've okay. never heard of Fighting Fantasy. So the Fighting Fantasy series is where we get um, a reading path but now we've got DICE involved. Okay. And so you've got some D6s. Uh, if you kind of look at the beginning, you've got an adventure sheet, kind of like a D&D adventure sheet. Okay. This is really starting to look like a solo RPG for a lot of the fans. And a lot of times when the fan groups say solo RPG, they're talking about this sort of British experience. Okay. There were some American books that tried it. He-Man tried hard. It doesn't do it. Um, but the Fighting Fantasy is a the name of the series. Um, lots of authors, Lots of books some of them are in the same world if the author comes back and wants to do like a sequel to it, but most of them are just random books and random fantasy se- settings. Um, they don't really connect very well.
2: So th- this has like roll, roll one dice, consult the table below, and it's determining whether you're going to fight a goblin, an orc, or a gremlin. Right. So... Even even within the encounters themselves, yeah, you're are not randomized. you're not just deciding what you do, but you're deciding like who you run into. Right, that's cool. Um, and you
3: asked how that look, how that form factor will they do this? The neat thing about this, if you look at the very bottom of the page. There's some dice. There's images of dice down there. Oh, okay. Right? So if you don't have a pair of dice, you can just flip randomly the remaining book, and it gives you a dice roll. Uh-huh. And So it's like a randomized dice roll built into the book that's interesting which is amazing um, I've been reprinted in many different ways the green spine editions are ones that all the collectors want I don't own any of those because I'm not fighting collectors on that I want a book I can read and play with that I can reverse engineer what did they do how do they do it can I write a book that way um, so the, whatever's cheapest works for me hmm. so I've got some of the newer reprints some of the some older reprints um, in my collection and I love the fact that they finally added dice Which I always thought the D and D books should, just because of the brand alone, it it, it makes sense. Um, But they added the dice, and that the British really seemed to do that more successfully than the Americans did, for whatever reason. Um, One of the reasons I think is because the writers were looking for a more. Advanced reader, they were looking for that Warhammer crowd, that D and D crowd, that kind of late teen, early college sort of crowd, where a lot of the American books were kind of pigeonholed as very young reader material. Yeah, Um, it makes it hard to be a fan sometimes because I really want to just soak up and just to spend a night reading a book, and I die in three seconds because well, it's just give yourself goosebumps, right? Um, Where the the adventure of the fighting fantasy books—you can kind of return to. You're rolling some dice. It feels like it's a little bit more hardcore. There's more death, more destruction, just a little bit more advanced, and the the rating scale on all points. And so, I think a lot of the times the the fans get a little more rabid about fighting fantasy because you can still read them. Yeah, um, and a lot of these are great historically. I've enjoyed them but don't read them for fun.
2: Right, the books the books are kind of like we we'll talk about the the old retro cartoons. And yep. it's like you love He-Man and the Masters of the Universe cartoon or you love the old Sunbow GI Joe, but when you rewatch it you go, oh, it's not, it's not quite I, as good as I remembered it," you know, like yeah. it's, it's a little bit more
3: painful. Well, I was, you know, during the the first two GI Joe movies, I was hearing all people talk about how it just paled in comparison to the uh, the original cartoon. I was like, have y'all seen that recently? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're remembering something completely different than what you watched at age eight. Yeah. But we played with the sandbox and made something else out of it. Right. Um, and you can do that with any licensed property or any unique property. And I think we do with fandoms a lot of the times. We we kind of adopt them and make them our own thing, and then new media doesn't really stack up against that. Right. Where I think the fighting Fantasy line is kind of really neat because they're unique adventures and unique portions of a world or unique worlds into themselves. You can then think about them all day long. But you're never going to have a second book that contradicts what you thought was that must be true and going to just shatter your your own fandom, Yeah, um, which is kind of nice. The other big British author that I want to point out is Joe Deaver. He's my personal favorite, so we're going to absolutely talk about him for a minute. Um, Joe Deaver was an American champion of Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. Back when Dungeons & Dragons had championships, and you actually went to a con and decided who was the best Dungeon & Dragoner in the country. It's a weird concept in modern 5e. Wouldn't understand that at all. But Joe Deaver was the um, British champion of the American games. He came to America, competed. He was the only British champion ever Wow. um, because it was American competition. So why would there be British champions? Um, They weren't really going across the pond. Um, So Joe Deaver then goes back and then kind of morphs all these ideas together. The choose-your-own-adventures, the Dungeons & Dragons, a little bit of fighting fantasy perhaps, kind of get all mixed into what he's doing. So again, it's a world where you're making choices as a character – and you're rolling some dice, having some adventures. Um, usually, the the paths decide what, and the paths you pick, if you make a choice yourself, decides goblin or caravan attack, you know, kind of bugbear, whatever. But then the dice are are you going live or not? Okay. You're now this encounter, can you live or not? Um, you have to have your own dice because they're not printed at the bottom of the book, but they do have this kind of dice table, random number table on the back. So if you have to read this at home with no dice in your house because your parents don't like you to have dice in your house. There's a random number chart in the back and you can always just kind of pick your number blind what? and go for it.
2: That's good too if you're trying to read in class or Absolutely. You know, silent reading. Roll a it's dice cool. back, yeah. a silent
3: reading yeah. is going to be frowned upon. We've <laughs> if, got a dice table in the back. I don't actually like reading the dice table. I'd rather roll the D10s.
2: Oh, for sure. That'd be more but, fun. You know, but yeah,
3: traveling on a trip in the back of a car. Yeah. That dice table really is a lifesaver. So huge fan. Hmm. Same kind of illustrations we see throughout all of them. Kind of black spot illustrations yeah. here. Got to fill in the pages. The neat thing about Joe Deaver and why I love Joe Deaver is it's all one world. So the entirety of his, um, this lone wolf is all about this one character. Okay. What's really neat is in book one, you're the the novice, you don't know anything, you're trying to take a message to a king. If you get there, now you've leveled up. And level, the next book is basically level one. The oh, next book is level two. It's leveling up in a video game. That's really cool. But by, by buying a series. And you can play each book by themselves. You just find one at a thrift store, grab it, pick it up, understand what's going on. But really the way he meant for you to read it, probably the way it's best read, is to get all 32 books, start the fresh character sheet, and see how far you can go before you die. And then you get five or six books in. And you have to decide, do you cheat that death and keep going? Or do you just go back to book one and try again? Hmm. Um, so it's a whole different reading experience in its totality,
2: yeah, that's really cool though that's you know very different than the like the t s r d and d books where absolutely. each one is a different character in a different world, even if they
3: went back to the same worlds or really trying to you know push this one that needed to have a better sales or something yeah um you never really interacted yeah. where these are absolutely going through that same adventure, and that's choices cool. from book one are going to impact book seven. And if you don't get something, the item here, you're gonna fail there. Or if you do get the item, you get this easier. It's there's a whole world of interconnectivity here that I wish I'd known about at nine because it would have changed what I bought. That sounds amazing. Would have changed how I read the entire and how I saw this entire world. Um, But I found it as an adult and thought, this is great. There's a long-running series. There's some kind of supplements later where you be- that, that character becomes kind of the, the mentor of some younger people coming up, some okay. tied-in sort of pieces. The Lone Wolf by Joan Deaver also has some standalone novels, some other kind of standalone pieces. At the end of his career, he uh, left this behind because they weren't selling anymore, and it started making um, video games based on that, phone app games based on that, and also had um, complete RPGs you know, uh, with Mongoose Press, baseless world. So if you still loved that world that you've grown up with and kind of grown up moving around, you could bring friends to the table and start playing with them all of a sudden in that world, being a Kai, you know, knowing what that means in that world, which I thought was great. Yeah. Um, I'll. I kind of hate that he moved in and stopped writing the books. I understand it economically, and kind of that was the right choice. He completely is making more money than I am, up until his death. I'm sure, um, absolutely, it was the right choice. There are a few unfinished books on the table that his sons actually finishing now. Okay, um, whole Kickstarter kind of thing, hardback edition, reissues of the earlier books. It's a good time to get into the Lone Wolf fandom because they're pushing new products out in a very collector friendly adult kind of look so if you are really digging anything we're talking about here today lone wolf's where i think you need to start okay and, and start in the used bookstore that's one of the old stuff because it's cheap and it's fun that's yeah. great but if you really want to experience a story that unfolds i think lone wolf's kind of that that ideal moment right and when i um, was rediscovering this as an adult you know I, I really thought that the video game controller had killed this entire genre i really thought they were gone um, and that's when I started writing my own because I wanted them to exist. Okay. And then somewhere in the middle of writing my own book, I realized, oh, look, they're still out there. People are still doing this. I'm not the only weirdo in this closet. Um, and there's a lot of modern pieces that are sometimes tongue-in-cheek okay. that are kind of admitting this was kind of a weird way to read and might as well have fun with it. And so we get some kind of weird tongue-in-cheek pieces like Butler to the Dark Lord, which is exactly what you yeah, think it I is. Yeah, I can imagine that. You're grim dark um villain and you're just kind of helping him out serve him tea what more do you need right and then some other pieces that are reprints and revisits and kind of repackagings okay um, so the blood sword this 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 world existed in the 80s Dave Morris and the group had this going back in the day um, they then reprinted them all and then kept it going okay so it's a kind of a unique world with dice and kind of that feel repackaged re um, put back on the market for the collectors, for the people that want to go back to it as adults, didn't want to take their ratty versions, want a new experience. Um, So some some of that, we've got some of the classics coming back. You've got some of the new authors jumping back into it, um, which is why I want to grab the stack right here. Yeah Because the stack in front of us just can't be a big enough stack. Let's just make the The, stack bigger.
2: The concept of doing the 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 single player role play game though is such a great idea because, you know, when you're a kid, you have all that free time to get together with people and and you know play D and D or or you know I played Warhammer in in middle school and high school. Have you
3: ever argued online with somebody
2: playing about playing Warhammer? Have I ever argued with somebody? Uh, No, I don't think I have. Well, in the
3: RPG world. Not unique to D and D, but in the RPG world, there's a lot of folks that argue online about what this rule does or what that spell. Is oh, about. okay, yeah, I get, I get you, ever you on that. Yes, somebody. Uh,
2: I don't. I, I try to stay out of that stuff, but I totally get what you're it's saying. It's a very yes. toxic part of the fandom. Yes, I'm Glad you stay out of absolutely. it. Glad
3: to hear it, Kevin. Um, do you realize that most people that are sitting online fact-checking and starting arguments don't actually get to play Warhammer? Yeah, I, well, I believe that they're not playing RPGs. That's that is their fandom is, and most of them want to play. Right. But I don't think all of them have the opportunity to play. The friend groups, the space, a good table. You know, so if they had a solo RPG book, and there are some Warhammer solo RPG books, Jonathan Green wrote a few. Okay. Um, There's a few others. I know Jonathan Green wrote a couple of them as a modern author. They're a little hard to find if you're not really into the black library of literature and which books are, because they don't quite label them as well as I Hmm. think they could have and really should have in a Warhammer kind of marketing critique. Um, (laughs) But I think there's. People that are wanting that experience of playing an RPG but don't have enough friend group or work a weird schedule at work or whatever would love a lot of this. Yeah, um, Maybe not the more simplistic aspects of it, but when we get into your Joe Devers, your fighting fantasy, some of the, the more complicated pieces, um, I think that there's a lot of room for... People that want that moment but can't have it. You know, I think people read the Black Library, Warhammer game, sometimes to learn more about the lore of the Warhammer universe. Sometimes they don't have the time, the space, the money, the resources to actually play Warhammer. They want to get that universe in some way. And the book series is there for that. And so yeah, the, the Jonathan Green's book is a great way to get a little bit of both.
2: It's interesting with with like Warhammer people, and I'm sure it happens with other role playing. Uh, and model games but there's definitely different sections of the fandom and there are people that are yep. all about the lore there's people that are all about playing the actual game there's people that sure. are all about the models sure. and so everybody kind of fits in a different a different category but yeah I, I do know what you're saying about I like think
3: there's that, that spot that needs to discover this type of literature because yeah. that's what they're looking for they need to stop arguing with each other and just sit down and read a book and chill out. Yeah, and um, a lot of fandoms, not just Warhammer or Dungeons and Dragons. There's a right. lot of that toxic moment that just go read a book. <laughs> <laughs> read a book, kid. I sound old. Um, there's some some people are playing with it. They choose matic books. Were great. There's a three or four of these. He's okay. moved on since then. These are great. This one's a little bit harder to find. Example, which is why I brought the hard to find example. This was the Free RPG Day 2014 edition. Ooh. It only has 90 options versus the 114 of the full books. So With okay. most of the book for free. Wow. Um, but it's that 2014 piece it was on eBay a lot there for a while. I didn't buy it for a while. Um, speaking a new to our collection. I did buy a few pieces I was missing, like the He-Man book that I'd okay. read, Decided I didn't need to spend money on that. But now I have a advantage to show it off to people. I needed to bring it. There you go. I could leave a lot of my shelf behind, but it was really important to bring a few, free Q, Some few of those key examples toy here. Toy tie yeah. Things I knew and understood and could write an essay about, but now it's time to really have on the shelf and the choose your own matic this rpg one was was one of them the free rpg day edition of this book i saw it on ebay for a while it was always there it was always cheap i just never pulled the trigger on it i wanted it for the show and spent more than i admitted to my wife on this <laughs> <laughs> so there you go um and some of were really interesting kind of spoofs and takes where we've you know people have loved the earlier books yeah but didn't want it to quite be that anymore so this Kirk Cave book is a very Scooby-Doo yeah. um, but with Cthulhu mixed in kind of thing kind of your Rouge your roam River Adventure however you would say that in a Scooby-Doo <laughs> voice right um, some of them were playing with the video game concepts and so the Midnight Arcade is a, a great series that people don't talk about nearly enough either. Um, but it's basically an arcade. You're in a cursed arcade. You've got two quarters. You can play a game. You can either play the same game twice when you die. You can reset it or you can play both games. Okay. So each book has two different arcade games that you're kind of, you're looking at. And each book has two different arcades that are very much familiar to you. So you've got Very much the um, Castlevania kind of aesthetics. That's mixed in with some wrestling games. Um, These have really interesting choice mechanics because instead of being rolling dice, you're actually moving the controller around. And one of the things that um, you've got there is the actual controller is down at the bottom of the page. Yeah. And which button are you going to push? Which way are you going to push that joystick? Um, A lot of people don't like these books because they're very fast. Okay. Because they're thinking about RPG games in like a PlayStation, Xbox kind of era and not RPG in a Nintendo arcade kind of era. Right. And so we're looking at an RPG-looking game, but as it would be in a console cabinet, which is a fast each quarter sort of experience. And it right. does that really well. But a lot of video game people are like, oh, that's not really what a video game is. Uh, it was. <laughs> I was there. Yeah. We were feeding those quarters Dra- heavily. Dragon's Lair and oh, all Slayer, other ones, man, you know? yeah. And so, you yeah, know, Gives you kind of a new take on some old ideas, brings some I- some fandoms together, brings some ideas together in a very non licensed kind of way, which was, was nice, but gives you kind of some familiar feels. Yeah, so that was great. And then some other um, newer properties and some are still using choose your own adventures as a way to kind of impact. So, Attack on Titan, great anime, great manga, great set of action figures and everything. Also, a um. Choose your own adventure esque style of game okay. where you get to pick your way through. Can you survive that world? You've been watching it for years. Can you actually survive it or not? Which I think is a really nice that new brands are looking yeah. the same way the old toy brands did. I think it's pretty good. Um, Oregon Trail. Oh, that's great. so perfect. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of video game, but now in four installments. Huh. And it's different parts of the trail. This is a four. Um, book set. And you kind of have these different parts of the trail. Can you okay. make it to Oregon or not? Are you going to die of dysentery? The artwork is very 8-bit reminiscent inside of it. There's a fold-out map. There's four more of these because they're great ideas. Kind of like side quests in there. Okay. Um, so if you're an Oregon Trail fan and have enjoyed your Oregon Trail card game and your Oregon Trail computer game, looking for more. Nice. It's an Oregon Trail book game in a lot of respects. But it feels like that kind of 8-bit era.
2: Yeah, and it's, that's a really perfect uh, brand to tie in because the people that are nostalgic for Choose Your Own Adventure books grew up with Oregon Trail. You know, that feels very... That takes me back to elementary yep. school. Choose Your Own Adventure books, Oregon Trail, Plus the computer game.
3: That, um, history element, so it's... Technically, it's a lot of fun, but it's also technically educational, right? Which is like the World War II spies and the Salem witch trial kind of books, where you had that educational component trying to sell the educational market, trying to get into um, school libraries right. or to parents that just wanted something more educational for their kids to, to learn about something. Um, Oregon Trails tying that bow in here, too. And so, you've got the 8 bit fans, you've got the old. Um, and new and just such a great license yeah and this um, book holds a special place to me because I actually um, flew from North Carolina to LA on my way to China one summer to teach in China and I read these on the way okay I was going from the east coast to the west coast this was the perfect set of books to take with me as I traveled west so perfect yeah. yeah A lot of great authors kind of doing their own new thing. Um, Dave Barrett, Dane Barrett, excuse me, New Zealand. Dane Barrett is a great author um, that I love, has short books and long books. The short books are fairly straightforward, path-picking sort of books. The long books get a little bit more complicated with how you pick your path and how much variety of story you have, but has kind of some interesting topics he's talking about with ninjas and uh, Mm -hmm. wars and police operations in a sci-fi fantasy New Zealand Which is not a setting we see very often. Yeah. A sci-fi fantasy version of New Zealand. So yeah, I love when they do something different with it. Okay. Right? Some are doing really weird things, like this behemoth here, um, which is just the same life, but you go through it over and over again, and you keep resetting Uh, yourself. Okay. And so it's kind of a respawning sort of thing, like in a video game. Yeah. But you keep resetting yourself. um, the only book that this author's done this way, but did it well and stopped and moved on with other types of novels that may or may not sell better. But mm-hmm. this was definitely a really unique experience, sort of like that pick your path, find your fate sort of experience. No dice, but way more complex than you think it is. Okay. Um, there's some jokes about Dyson here that tell me you that, that he's aware of fighting fantasy and that kind of genre where it says, you know, roll a dice, doesn't matter what you get, go to page three okay. sort of moments, um, kind of spoofing and lampooning, but telling a wholly different, sad sort of story. You've got a, a, a young man, and you're messing his life up over and over again. And trying huh. to get a happy ending out of this book is really hard because okay. life doesn't have happy endings, apparently. I think that's what I've learned in Life's Lottery. <laughs> there aren't happy endings. It's going to suck. Thanks, Kim Newell Newman. Thanks for telling me that. Um, yeah, some people that have kind of jumped on the scene like I have writing their own books, independently publishing their own books are great. You know, James Herons are some good stuff. This one's kind of a weird one to show because it's not really what he's writing. His main series is a real fantasy kind of piece. This is a little bit of time in a British school. It's like a high schooler just kind of surviving high school, essentially. It's completely an odd duck from his co- his entire bibliography so far. He's written five or six books now. I've lost track. Um, all of them have great. I've read them all, but this was the oddest one out of the entirety of it and odder than all the fantasy stuff I was showing off. So I wanted to show some of the oddball sort of ideas. A lot of high school students make sense in these books because so much of the earlier stuff was already kind of that young age yeah. group person. Why not have them survive high school the same way they're surviving snow? boarding and yeah. um, whatever else in the past. So kind of that slice-of-life romance book. Is that a romance book when it's based on your real life? And I guess, what you doing. Yeah. I don't know. Um, kind of that literally immersive kind of real-life kind of thing versus the, the high fantasy kind of concepts. Right. Made it kind of interesting. And you see absolute romance books. We have Choose Your Own Disaster by Dana Schwartz. It's absolutely a romance book. There's a lot of these where you're redoing Romeo and Juliet or redoing a first date and all the permutations of a first date. Or as... um as romance as you want romance to be, there, someone has covered that for you. Okay. If you want kind of a nice slice of life, meet cute rom com, there is that. You want hardcore erotica, there is that. Okay. Not necessarily in this book, but. Gotcha. Not yeah. necessarily in the stack I'm bringing in our family friendly right, channel. Right. But I promise you, if that's what you're looking for, it's out there. That, start start uh, Googling things. I'm not surprised. I yep, guess. Yeah. And think it's weird sometimes. Um, you know, you are a cat <laughs> for book series about being a cat. Uh, you can be a kitten, you can be a cat, you can be a cat in the apocalypse. There's a fourth one, I don't remember what that is, but you're just a cat. You're okay. walking around, weird things are happening behind you, and because you're a cat, you don't really care because you're a cat. You know, there right. just some odd ways to kind of retake and kind of retell those stories um, because you can do any type of story in this in this situation, so why not? And a lot of the modern authors have just played with the why not. Okay. I did want to bring some mystery books in here. And so mystery
2: makes total sense. Mystery for it.
3: makes complete sense. Victoria Hancock's has written several books. Night Shifts, one of the uh, great one to jump in on. Um, they're all good, but there's code words, there's secret kind of pieces, and then you, you have to answer the riddles with these code words. And the mystery makes complete sense. Um, there's some uh, from the Alfred Hitchcock line from back in the day. Okay. that were sort of doing that, but she went a step further, a step more complex. Um, tell some really good horror stories with mystery elements. Um, it's kind of her her niche.
2: That would be an interesting way to try and like reinvigorate Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew or something. Do a modern, absolutely, you know, mystery, but put
3: the. I wouldn't in be tied, I wouldn't want to be tied to that licensing. No, not yeah, necessarily, even if they, but offered me the Nancy Drew, I don't think I'd want to do it. Um, if they offered Victoria Hancock's the Nancy Drew, I hope she wouldn't do it. But something along those lines, she can absolutely handle To modernize it, it yeah. Absolutely. And there have been some Scooby-Doo books. and you know, the, Obviously, the Kirk Cave book as a, a spoof on Scooby-Doo. Right. But I think Mystery that step further for your Nancy Drew, your Hardy Boys, a little bit more mystery. There's still wide possibilities out there that haven't been written yet. Yeah. Fantasy's been written fairly extensively. A lot of the genres have been written fairly extensively for trying to find your own niche. Um, but I think that Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew moment hasn't quite happened yet. Yeah. With the CW uh, Nancy Drew show... Um, now's probably the time to be writing that.
2: It would it it would just be interesting because you could like choose to interview the wrong person and like right. follow the wrong lead the wrong or follow clues. the lead the wrong way Absolutely. or whatever. Yeah, that could be really cool.
3: Yeah. And I've played around with some fantasy or some um, some mystery books, but never to that kind of criteria. Gotcha. Not, not, and and those books are so structured. Yeah, that it might be hard to play with them in that way. Yeah, because the structures are you know the, the third chapter is always a third chapter. It does certain things that third chapters have to always do? Yeah, there's so many rules to writing those books. I many authors have written on them over the years, and they all feel fairly consistent because there's such strict rules. Yeah. in that world, um, but yeah, there's definitely room to play more with that kind of mystery.
2: Even if it was a new character, like you know the, you had Encyclopedia Brown and Harriet the Spy. There's a lot of characters absolutely that just I I always go back to the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew as like where those started, but. I could totally see somebody doing a, a new modern kid in the cell phone age that's doing right. this detective work.
3: Right. Well, and along those lines, we do have the Carmen Sandiego books. Oh, ah, yeah. Um, there's the classic Carmen Sandiego uh, from back in the day. I don't know what year this is. It's fine. These are neat because they actually have like clue cards and some like real elements to it where you have to find the clue understand okay. the suspects um, and a lot of these books are not complete when you find them because some kid drank all that out to actually read it the right way you need to photocopy that card front and back mm. or rip it out yeah. um, and that's one that's not being supported online as heavily as some of the adventure sheets and the printouts are out there for a lot of these lines but on the Carmen Sandiego's you either tore them out or you didn't mm. um, and if you're going to buy one of these older Carmen Sandiego books you need to be looking for those pieces there's gotcha. an asterisk book um, that's the same way has there's rip out pieces that you had the clues and the suspects and you made notes to actually play the game you were destroying the book to play it yeah um the newer carmen san diego didn't do it at all 2019 the netflix adaptation carmen san diego had several books that were just pick your path kind of things no dice um but yeah, it's a mystery it's a globe trotting kind of piece yeah i don't know if i learned um my geography from it, but mm. I think I was supposed to. Yeah, yeah. I did enjoy it. It's a good read. I mean, the, I've learned...
2: I loved the game and the, the game show that they I had done. I never played
3: the game. Okay. Um, I always go back to the game show. You know, Rockapella for me. Yeah, that. You yeah, know, that Rockapella that. Is, is my Carmen Sandiego experience. If they'd had done a soundtrack for this book, I would have bought more copies of it <laughs> because I love Rockapella.
2: We had Where in the U.S. is Carmen Sandiego and my school and elementary school had Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, right. which is much harder. The U.S. game... Uh, we had much better luck at trying to actually catch the criminals because I'm sure you just have more
3: you know more, more background that. knowledge, yeah. And we're Americans; we don't learn about the world anyway, right? Right. <laughs> that country exists. I thought Doctor Doom lived there. <laughs> yeah, it's not not good in our education sometimes. Our geography really suffers. Yeah, um, outside of our borders, but yeah, a lot of um, new brands are going back to this play factor and this kind of readable factor. And so WWE did it with three books. That's interesting. Um, you wrestling fan.
2: I'm uh, not, not a super huge wrestling fan, but that is interesting. Have because you ever
3: wanted to be Triple H?
2: Definitely, I've wanted. To Have be you
3: ever H. wanted to be Kane?
2: I'm kind of. Th- that's such a funny matchup. You you don't. I would not picture wrestling and reading as being like the the brands to come together. Whereas the Carmen moment. San Diego is an educational right concept. Absolutely, that's really funny. Well, actually. What's
3: neat about this though, unlike your GI Joes that you looked at, we were always generic Joe. Yeah, um, I've got an Indiana Jones on the shelf at home, where you're his little buddy. You get to walk around beside Indiana Jones, but you can't be Indiana Jones. Mm. You, know, you can't make choices for the guy that you're actually buying the book for. Um, but no, the WWE, you're there. Wow. You're okay. becoming a champion. You're going to get that belt. That's Or cool. not. Uh, so try to get that belt. But yeah, the WWE is kind of an odd pairing, but it's yeah. kind of neat that you've got that kind of return to this form factor a little bit. And I get excited when I see new brands and old brands coming back to it. You know, my little pony Tells Equestria is not something that I watch very often. My daughter didn't really get into the whole girl version of the Mm. um, Milo ponies. She enjoyed the one version, but this one kind of fell outside of hers. Yeah, But, you know, I picked it up in case she was interested in it. She was not. But then I read it a few times to see how it worked. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And just nice to see Wonder Woman finally giving us more female representation now than we had back in the 80s. Wonder Woman got her own book. There was a Supergirl, um, Pick Your Path, Find Your Fate sort of book back in the DC line back in the day. Wonder Woman probably had one too. You have Batman, scooby Doo's. but it's not really a mystery because it's that cartoony version of Scooby-Doo. Yeah. They're, you can run through the house and, and do the chase scene because you have to. Right. Um, Adventure Time, I got really excited when Adventure Time did this because I was really hoping that my students at the time were all into Adventure Time. Hope they'd get back into this kind of story, this gotcha. kind of element. Um, they loved a lot of the Adventure Time merchandise. I never saw you of my students actually read these. Hmm. Um, even I had them on my bookshelf where I would have them in the classroom with me sometimes. We're like, yeah. hey, here's a book. Oh, it's a book. Never mind. Um, books are hard. I get it. American Girl Doll, recent pickup. New to the collection. Not read it yet. I don't know how great it is. Okay. It's American Girl Doll. Yeah. Okay. Make your choices there. There are a lot of American Girl Doll books though. Yes. But that so to have a choice based, interactive books where setting those kind of worlds, playing with those kind of characters that have such characterization in that American Girl Doll fandom makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad they're doing that. So yeah. All right. Um that's a lot about books, Kevin. That
2: was a lot about books. Wow. I don't Do not we think... need
3: something non-book to kind of break it up? Uh, sure, if you want. Do you want to talk about DVDs? Sure. you want to talk about movies? Okay. I'm not coming back to do Hack the Movies or Movie Dumpster. Um, not anytime soon, anyway. But great shows. There's never been a good Dungeons & Dragons movie. It's true. I'm not sure there ever can be a good Dungeons & Dragons movie.
2: I think Dungeons & Dragons is too personal to make a good movie of it.
3: Well, and the, what are you going to be? Are you going to have like generic characters named Thief and Elf and doing the generic quest? Right. Or are you going to give them absolute characterization, make them a really cool fantasy story in a really cool fantasy story world, and wind up just being any generic fantasy movie? Yeah. And I'm not sure how you would make a good Dungeons Dragons movie. I, I don't know how to do it either. Because our play is so individualized. Our yeah. What we create is different than... Our understanding of he man, our understanding of GI Joe, yeah. You know, the Dungeons and Dragons understanding is so highly personalized. Everybody's house ruled everything. Yes, I don't care what you argued on the internet. You house ruled something mm-hmm. because we all did it. We all do it. It just makes the yes. game flow. It's better than looking all the rules up. You're the DM. You're the god of that world. Or you go for it.
2: You've miss You've misinterpreted a rule so long ago. And that now just, that you learned the correct way, it's like, eh, that's just how we play it. Anymore. This
3: is how we play it. We're playing together. Everybody's having fun. If you're playing, having fun, you're doing the right thing. I think the best shot Dungeons and Dragons has of making a good Dungeons and Dragons movie is taking one of the fantasy novels, A or, or, or Salvatore, or um, one of those great fantasy novels, and just adapting a series. Yeah. And if they're not going to do that, I don't know how a Dungeons and Dragons movie is going to work. There's one coming. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to work. Um, Scourge of the Dragons was an interesting experience. It's okay. a very DVD-era Dungeons & Dragons attempt at a movie. And so you get an animated scene in this weird 3D animation, sort of like Polar Express on a budget. Okay, It's that like kind of Uncanny Valley mm-hmm. era of animation. Um, and then you get a scene, and then you get the choices, and you get out your DVD remote and start choosing between your choices. It is absolutely the DVD equivalent of everything in this genre. Um, Netflix has done really well with that recently. The Snatch attached to Black Mirror, um, Stretch Armstrong's cartoon had an episode, right? Okay. You um, talk about the um, robot chicken. You've got the buddy thunderstruck. Yeah. From that same studio, had an episode of that entire show that on Netflix. You got to play through it, make choices for these characters, um, and it works out really interestingly in the streaming era. I'm not sure the DVD was the right form factor for it, but streaming probably is.
2: It's a it's a big um, it's a big expense, I would think, for streaming to shoot. To Shoot an episode, but have to shoot a lot of different versions of things. Like, sure, I, I, it's more footage than a standard episode,
3: sure. But you're also getting more shots on the same set between yeah. teardowns. If you plan it right, I'm not sure it actually is more expensive. That's true. It, it depends on what happens. If one path leads you to an alien invasion, one path leads you yeah. to a world that's fine, you know, completely different sets. That makes sense. Uh, with Buddy Thunderstruck, which was an animated um, stop motion piece, anyway. The entire story is playing out different ways, but it's all happening on the sets they already had for all the other episodes, I'm pretty sure. I mean, if they'd love to comment down below and correct me on that, come on. But I'm betting that's what's happened. They had all these sets. They just made it fit the sets they already had. I don't remember seeing any new background or any new character pop up for that one episode. Um, Sadly, when it's collected elsewhere online outside of Netflix, um, you lose that choice. Right. the Stretch Armstrong toy line, I don't know much about, but they did pack some DVDs in with them. I don't okay. know if the DVDs ever had that choice based collected on a DVD. If it does, somebody tell me down in the comments below when I'm reading it later. We'll be tracking it down. Because I'll track it down. <laughs> yeah. Because I will play it. Um, you know, but I think Netflix is a really good era for that. Yeah. But DVD did try it, and it had, was tried quite a few times on DVD. Oddly enough, Bratz is one of those people that kept coming back to it. There are several Bratz movies that are interactive movies. Okay. Um, Again, knew the collection. I thought my daughter would be really excited about it. She was not. thought the heads were too big. She just didn't want to talk about that at all. <laughs> um, it's okay, well, I'm trying to find the thing to really bond with you on. Sorry. We'll just slide that away. I may eventually break down and watch these Bratz DVDs and learn how to live it up or glance and glamour, but I don't know. I may not. I may just leave it on the shelf and just wonder what it always was. Okay. I am really surprised that Barbie never did this.
2: Yeah, because Barbie has a lot of media. They've Kel has of media. put a ton of all kinds money of behind that.
3: Books on tape, books on record, various books, comic books. Barbie's in every genre out there. Yeah. But I cannot find Barbie in this at all. Um, Jim and the Holograms was there for a few books. American Girl dolls, Bratz, Bratz did a lot of this. American Girl dolls has done pretty good, but Barbie is left out of the conversation.
2: Barbie doesn't have a lot of drama, so I wonder if that's.
3: Depends on what like you're they, watching. Some of the Barbie movies are a little more drama. Okay, head. yeah,
2: I don't, I don't think I've really seen a lot of the Barbie movies, but like so it, the newer they, Barbie movies, okay. right?
3: Like the, the newer Barbie movies seem to be a lot more about good guy and bad guy, okay. kind of thing. So I was gonna saw. say the,
2: like like 80s Barbie, there there weren't there there was just it wasn't really conflict in it. Whereas like gem was designed to it have conflict, conflict because they had the misfits. Yep. like they built it into it. Kind of how Shira had you know. And
3: Barbie and the Rockers never really had that much Jim and the Misfit kind of piece. No. And, and really, they were trying to win the competition. They were trying to, you know, do whatever it was their Barbie and the Rocking doing, and they look cool, but they didn't have that that kind of competition,
2: right? So without without having established characters,
3: I got tons of characters in the Barbie land. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, not
2: having an established Skipper like and, opponent character, right,
3: you need a good Barbie and to, a bad Barbie to want
2: to write that to, to to facilitate that story.
3: But you know, as much new DVD and movies straight to um, video that they're doing with Barbie. I don't know why they're not playing around with interactive, not playing around with an interactive book. Yeah, um, it probably is cost prohibitive. It's probably somewhere on some accountant line somewhere. It just does not make sense. Where Bratz needed to push uh, to, into new areas to do something new to kind of win that space on the shelf uh, against all the other Barbie and Barbie clones.
2: There's somebody at Mattel that remembers this being a failure and they're like oh. no, ch- no, choose your own adventure.
3: Well, that may be it. <laughs> Maybe it completely. Um, it's just fine. Other companies are jumping into it though. Disney jumped into it you know, got your Wreck-It Ralph, where you break the internet, Okay, and in this one, you actually play several different characters from that movie, and have several different kind of um, adventures from that world, hmm. which is kind of a nice way of looking at, again, you get conflict, you get yeah. those kind of action story points are already in that movie. There's also some for the um, Inside Out movie, Okay, which is a little bit more internally driven, yeah. but that action's already built into the franchise. Maybe Barbie just doesn't have enough drama. As much drama as I think there is in Barbie World, maybe it's just not the right types of drama. I don't. Know. Well,
2: maybe after the Margot Robbie movie comes out, there'll be. I don't
3: know what's going to happen after that movie comes out. It's going to be weird, whatever it is.
2: I I, don't, I have no idea what they're going to do in that movie. At
3: this point, all I've seen are the you know Twitter snapshots, the rollerblade pictures, the rollerblade <laughs> yeah. pictures. Um, I have no idea what that movie is based on those five images that we've seen. I can't construct a story at all, I have and I'm no excited idea. about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I hate when I can watch a trailer for a movie and then understand the entire film. Right. That's why I don't watch M. Night Shyamalan movies much anymore because after Six Sense, somebody in some mall said, I didn't understand what movie I was buying a ticket to and they put the entire movie in the trailer. Yeah. And you can watch the trailer and get the two-hour experience because all the plot twists are there yeah. in the trailer. And so this new Barbie movie, I don't think a trailer is going to capture it. Whatever it is they're doing, I don't think they're going to spoil it in the trailer. That's for sure.
2: I can only... So, so not being a Barbie... Uh, collector or whatever. All I can imagine this movie being is a long uh, fashion montage to like lead up to like the date with Ken. Right. <laughs> but that's a very like my sister playing with Barbies in the 80s like perspective on, on yep. the brand.
3: You know, I played with Barbies as a kid and we always had conflict. Um, I was the only guy in the neighborhood so I saved my money up, bought my Barbie doll which is really nice. My parents then bought me Ken and some some fashion to go with it. Okay. Um, but the you know, the girls in the neighborhood, the neighbors always had Barbies and we were playing with Barbies. We had lots of high conflict. Okay. There was always a lot of things going on. So my, my my idea of Barbie might be tainted with a little bit too much of how we played Barbie. Gotcha. There's always conflict. Somebody was always having some drama breakout. <laughs> And so it was the stereotypical, you know, this person's trying to marry your husband. Yeah. Very much the soap operas were watching behind the couch. You know, we're yeah. playing and the soap operas going and Evil Twin just popped up. And that very 80s, 90s soap opera moments sort are of definitely happening in our play. I could see that. But we also had the Jim and the Rockers, or Jim and the Holograms, mixing with our Barbie and the Rockers. And we were playing those stories out too. Because yeah. once you had Jim and you had Barbie and the Rockers, now, now the Misfits, the Stingers, yeah. you had some other conflicts you could play in that kind of story. Um, I think we are having a lot more of the action you know, the He-Man, the She-Ra. I think we're kind of bringing that into Barbie maybe a little too much. Gotcha. Because I'm remembering a lot of conflict. I could see that book happening. <laughs> I don't know why you're confused, Kevin. I don't know. But maybe your Barbie play is during the My Barbie play. I
2: don't I, know. I, I don't have enough Barbie play. Oh,
3: I had lots of Barbie play. Oh, there you go. Tons of Barbie play. Um, but yeah.
2: All right, so is that is there another pile of another topic, or was that most of the... Yeah,
3: I did want to point out that comic books have also done this. Okay. Um, I did not bring the Deadpool, but there was a Deadpool mini series that I highly recommend. Uh, four or five issues, and you've made the choices panel by panel, and the visuals actually made it make sense and contributed to it. I hmm. um, highly recommend it. I don't actually recommend trying to find the back issues. Go for the trade. Gotcha. The trade has it all together, and the adventure spanned all the issues anyway. I think the trade's the best reading form, and has the most collectability um, because there's a special version of the trade that came with the dice with the Deadpool um, mask, you know, logo on it, and the special pencil to fill out the sheet. And so, I think that's really where you want to go looking for your collectible, collectible, and okay. for your reading experience. it's kind of the same spot you're going. Is maybe not that version of the trade, but kind of the mass market trade aspect is that that way of going. And I love looking at comic books doing it. Um, It's been happening since the 80s, but usually by independent companies, and they're kind of hard to track down, hard to find. I will point out Jason Shiga's. Meanwhile is absolutely an interesting reading experience and very graphic. I don't know how he ever got this through production. He's been interviewed several times on YouTube, and they're all fascinating. But he's never really explained how did you get these tabs through a production. Uh, Who who convinced to do that? Because you're reading kind of by line, so you've got you know, the white line, you follow the white oh, line, okay. you make it the choice to go to the brown line, you follow the brown line for a while, and there's tabs down the edge here that have your color coded, telling you like where in the book to turn to to flip 20, 30 pages and come back. Just from a, a book production standpoint, yeah, that... this is an amazing document. Um, but then from a story that makes sense, it's also an amazing document. Um, so Jason Shega is a great car- comic cartoonist. Um, writes really interesting pieces, but this one just blew my mind and his other books didn't blow my mind the way this it did it blows
2: my mind how they engineer like which where they're going to stick the the ending right. in these books and that's even more complicated because it's it's visually shown yeah. and then flows to the next page that's
3: it blows my mind, too. I can, I can reverse engineer a choose-your-own-adventure-pick-your-path kind of book. I can reverse engineer a, a fighting fantasy or a, a Joe Deaver sort of book and kind of understand it. may not create something as epic as they did, but I understand how it works, yeah. kind of why they made their choices, where they made them. I understand what kind of conflicts they're going for, internal, external. I get a lot of that. Um, but, yeah, the, when you get into the comics, I'm, I'm lost, too. Yeah. Because I can't draw. Um, I've written a few manga and I've written some comics but I've not ever had to do one that's that complex. And okay. I don't know how you'd ever as a writer hand off a script to an artist and have them make sense of it. Yeah. Um, so now she'll make sense. As did a, he
2: write and draw that? Wrote and draw it. So that makes it a little easier.
3: You can absolutely control and can change, can edit. We I mean, in the Deadpool though, you've got writers, you've got yeah. um, artists and how they ever got together on the same page to make something that worked is amazing. I don't understand at all. Uh, Twisted Journeys, I've discovered not too long ago. 22 books in this series, um, but it's partly comic book and partly prose. Okay. And so, like, the action sequences often jump into comics and get a couple pages of comics, but then you get back into the prose. Okay. And then some spot illustrations kind of. Th- even it out so it feels like there's a lot more car- comic here than there really is. Okay. But there's a couple comic pages where choices are not happening, and then your choices happen in prose to either kick into that comic or the other comic. Um, lots of authors, lots of artists have worked on this Twisted Journeys series over the 22 books. Um, I'm still amazed at how they pulled that off, that kind of weird hybridization. Yeah. But I can at least understand you know, this kind of long stretch of prose. Let's go ahead and put that in a comic form to kind of break it up a little bit versus a twenty page section of prose. Yeah. Um I get why they're doing it, but how the relationships worked, I don't know. I'd love to know, hmm. but I don't know. Yeah. All right. So Kevin, do you know need you to know anything else about Choose Your Own Adventure Style Fantasy Interactive?
2: I feel like I learned more about them than I was expecting. This oh, was good. this was a very in-depth overview. I had no idea there were so many different formats and versions right. and stuff.
3: Have you seen the Choose Your Own Adventure um, game? Before? I have seen the, these in store, yeah. These are available cool. at Target, and available um, all kinds of bookstores had those. It's a card-based game that you can play by yourself or with a couple people, um, kind of making choices through kind of the track and trying to get to the end of the book without dying inside some time limit. There's um, two or three versions of that out there, House of Dangers, based on a classic Choose Your Own Adventure book. Um, I think the other one is, too. I remember the name of it off the top of my head. But okay. um, it's a way to not have a solo adventure anymore. Yeah, you know, So I think one of the strengths of this is the solo play aspect, Warhammer, Dungeons & Dragons, a world to play in when you can't play with other people. But then they took that step and tried to play with other people, which is a really interesting moment for me when you try to bring that second book in, that second player into this reading experience. Not the first time it's been done, though. Um, Joe Deaver, love Joe Deaver, British author, um, outside of his um, Lone Wolf series. Also did these Combat Heroes books. Um, and these have a standalone adventure in them. But what they're really made to do was to grab two of the books and play together. Hmm. Now, when you open that book up, what's the first thing you're going to notice, Kevin? Uh, I'm seeing, I've got
2: different uh, different like lists here. I've got... Am- Missile ambush and well, two different missile ambushes and the different different numbers for the dice rolls, I guess. So, all kinds
3: of dice mechanics, like an yeah. RPG, Warhammer kind of mechanic. And then,
2: I also have I've got artwork that sort of shows the it looks like a hallway, and yep. then uh, lots of symbols and things. For it, basically is explaining to me, I, I'm like interpreting it for the first time, but yep. like an arrow and then a number. So, I'm, t- I'm understanding if I go straight down this path, I'm going to page 190, and if right. I want to back.
3: Up, I'm going to page 39. And that's working the way that you understand to work, but adding dice to it. But flip 30 pages in, because the first 20 pages of that book are just the rules. (laughs) Oh, and now it's just pages of... Images. And across the very bottom of that page, if you look closely, you'll see, like, turn left, go to this number, turn right, go to that number, kick, do this, punch, do that. Um, But it's a very interesting visual experiment it's not quite a comic book because it's telling a story with images but not in a way that we would recognize it as a comic or a manga um but it's somewhere like playing doom or wolfenstein yeah but in your hands um and it's an interesting way to kind of think about other ways to do this sort of this manipulation of your reader and your story and your audience and kind of how they intersect that's an entirely new way of doing that um, that Joe Deaver and, and company were doing there. Um, his authors changed book by book. There's six or seven of these. What's neat is they're not really paired up, so if you have a bad guy and you have a good guy, you can play. Oh, interesting. Um, it doesn't really matter which two books you pit against each other, but once you kind of get those rules down pat, and they're complex. I'm not trying to explain them here because it would take a while. Um, but once you get that 20 pages of rules down pat, you and your friends could just start swapping books around and playing almost randomly. Huh. TSR had done that with a co- um, two-player game back in the day but you had to have the right two players to play it if you find one of these and not the other at a thrift store and don't buy them both you'll never play them if you get any two of these you're ready to go Hmm. as long as you're not playing the same book against the same book and honestly you could probably take two black barons and still do something really cool with it um the narrative in this and the world building in this is not as good as the other joe deaver books but that form factor of how it's played is completely different of nearly everything, especially everything we see in the solo RPG sort of world until we get in the board game space. Um, Cause obviously board games, RPGs, a lot of that's going to share the same space. And so this bounty hunter shootout at the saloon is that same kind of idea where you've got very visual, you're, you're two different gunslingers. You're having a shootout. What do you do? What do they do? It's all very, that same picture-driven sort of world. Okay. Um, There's aces of aces. There's a a World War II dogfight based on the same kind of system. There's a lot of ways Hmm. to do it. And never need a controller, never need a joystick. Um, But yeah, a lot of ways to explore your stories and tell your own story or tell somebody else's story along with that author. Lots of ways to to control that narrative besides just action figures.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: do you want to take a minute and plug your books? I'd love to plug my book. Everyone should buy my book. Forget the entire stack of everything we've seen for the past three hours. Go buy my book. It's the best. Enjoy it. Um, I've got several series going. Castles of Imagination is a six-book limited set that's definitely pulling from Joe Deaver. Um, I wanted that idea of choices in book one to matter throughout the series. And so the six books are best read in order, letting the characters develop. It starts off with the high school students playing um RPGs amongst themselves trying to survive the high school. Um, What's neat in that one, and kind of unique in that one, at least unique that I've found in all my research, is that there's a frame tell element. So you're controlling the high schooler. You're also controlling the barbarian character in the game. Okay. And so some of the conversations are you and your DM talking across the table about high school or in a locker room or wherever, and then some of it is the in-game barbarian getting to smash your way through, and some dice rolling kind of comes with that. Okay. Some of it's choice-based. There are some uh, D6s in there to kind of keep you from making all the right choices. Ah. We all want to be the hero, but sometimes life doesn't work out that way and you're going to have a bad role. And not every um, adversity leads to failure and sometimes the best story doesn't come through choosing the best option. Okay. A lot of fans, when you start really talking to them, they stop playing with the dice and start just absolutely picking the best path to, to win the book. Gotcha. Maybe that's not the best thing to do. All right, so, I've got that series going. I've got several other series going while I'm finishing up that. When I've written a few other things, um, talk about con experiences. I used to sell at comic book conventions. Okay. Um, it's really hard to sell things that don't have art with them at a comic book convention. Yeah. And it's really interesting in the past couple of comic book conventions I've um, sold to pre-pandemic because people really weren't looking at comic books. They wanted original sketches. They wanted cosplay trophies. They weren't there to get back issues the way I went to comic book conventions, right? They weren't there to discover new authors or new independent books the way I did as a young person. Um, that kind of experience is shifting about yes. what, what they want from a comic book. Um, and then me standing behind a table with one book that... Um, didn't have enough pictures in it to suit them it was a hard sell It's a hard experience I get that um, so I then started branching out and often people would say oh well I don't really like fantasy I don't like true life stuff do you have a horror book well I didn't at the time um, so I started kind of branching out writing some other genres some other kind of ideas besides the Goblin's Gift which is the first book of Castle Imagination I've also got a world That is set On a luchador island Okay um, Because I do love wrestling Don't keep up As much as I probably should But I do love the wrestling I love that kind of idea. Um, some because I grew up on WCW and WWF as we did in our generation, but also because I love that weird mythology of the luchadors, like the mask that never comes off, like yeah. really like buying into the Blue Santo gimmick from all those movies. And so I created an island that's a complete utopia that's ruled by luchadors. There's some long, non-luchadors kind of hanging out. Sometimes people retire with their masks still intact, and just your dentist has a luchador mask on. And so it's a weird set of stories that interlock and in, um, – And short stories here in National City zines, just kind of weird characters moving around, doing different types of stories. There's some mystery um, explorations there. We're trying to figure out how to make mysteries work. We're trying to figure out some other genres in kind of short, short story kind of ways. And what makes this also interesting, because that reader manipulation I think is important in this entire genre of book, is that the back of each of these zines is actually a manga. Because if you flip it over, it's now paged the right way for a manga. And so if you read it from front to back, Holding it in the American way, it's a interactive fiction book. If you flip it over, it's now a manga chapter huh. about an aardvark with a sword. Um, the two stories will eventually intersect. So the back manga and then the main island, you'll figure out kind of how they fit together. If I keep going, gotcha. And I've got all those um, plans planned out. Just need to keep writing.
2: So where can people find your books? Amazon. Amazon, okay.
3: Burns & Noble has a few of them. There's other um, places online you can find them. The best way to to find it is Amazon. All right. If you look around something like gamebooks.org, um, which I don't want to make sure we kind of plug Gamebooks.org here. That's a great list of all the old series and all of the new series and kind of all the topics. Gamebooks.org is a librarian trying to make sense of all of this and trying to um, have the team working on it now, trying to discover all of the new books being written. Um, if you find a series out there that's not on Gamebooks.org, send them an email, let them know, they'll put it up there. Um, but it's all cross-referenced with author and themes, and so if you find an author you like, you can find everything they've written. You know, so you want to find some more RL. Stein, right. Choose Your Own Adventures, you can find all the ones he wrote for all the other um, different series like Twist Your Fate. Okay. Um, and so it's all kind of cross-referenced like a big database, which I love, but GameBooks.org, not visually interesting perhaps, but absolutely a great repository. Okay, uh, So if you want to get geeky with some librarian skills, this is really going to show you where else to go looking for other types of theme or author. So yeah, GameBooks.org to find me mentioned, but definitely for Amazon for the rest of it. All right. Absolutely, Kevin. Thanks for asking.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. This was really awesome. I, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh i'd love to see in the comments down below what choose your own adventure type books you read as a kid
3: absolutely i want to know what you read as a kid yeah um, there's a, some names we'll see come up over and over again and then some names we won't you'll learn a lot about your di- um, demographics by figuring out which references they're making yeah, yeah are they really getting those adventure times or are they really going back to he-man right um, so you got like a kind of new diagnostic tool
2: i bet you there's a, a lot of uh of the give yourself goof bump era people watching I think the so show.
3: Uh, my, my prediction is you're going to have a lot of choose your own adventure, twist your fate kind of people up to about. Um, you're giving yourself goosebumps. Yeah. Which works out with the toys you're talking about. Absolutely. So absolutely.
2: All right, guys. Thanks for hanging on the peg with us.
4: Bye.